The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Please call the roll. Councilmember Gerald Byrd. Present. Councilmember Young the second. Here. Councilmember Santiago Romero. Present. Mr. Chair, you do have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Next, we will move to the approval of the minutes. Members have been provided the minutes from last meeting. You have a motion to approve the minutes. Motion. Hearing no objection, and action shall be taken. I uh, would like to start off first by thanking, or, or I'm sorry, by wishing our wonderful, amazing uh, colleague from District 6, uh, Council Member Santiago Romero, a very, very happy birthday, happy birthday, Thank Member you. Santiago. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, everyone. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> Next, we will move... Uh, to public comment. If you would like to participate in public comment, please uh, indicate so now if you are joining us virtually by raising your hand via the Zoom feature. Again, once public comment is closed, uh, we will no longer, uh, oh, okay, once public comment is closed, we will no longer, sorry guys, we will no longer uh, be accepting. Um, first though, uh, just some housekeeping. Uh, I would like to call to order the 105 public hearing and recess that to the call of the chair. Uh, Mr. Leonard, how many hands do we have today for public comment, seeing that we have no members in uh, the audience joining us? I, or I believe we have one. Please join us at the microphone, please, sir. Again, members of the public will have two minutes for public comment. We ask that you state your name for the record and please proceed. Hello, my name is Evan Doherty. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Also, like to thank uh, all the parties present. Happy birthday, Councilwoman. Um, my question is on the uh, issuance of bonds in the city of Detroit. There's been a lot of talk about that. Um, I read the report written by the LPD and the uh, presentations, and to me, it looks like the city has not broken any laws um, or exceeded the debt limit. But this may partially be due to the under the Michigan law, many of the city's bonds don't count towards the debt limit. And I thought it was ironic that under the same law, those are the same bonds that don't require public notice uh, prior to issuance, like the uh, recovery bonds and revenue bonds, even though these are bonds that are paid from income tax, gas tax, and things like that. So um, I'm wondering... In the interest of transparency and in inclusivity, um, why not update an ordinance at the city level to require public notice of these bonds and also to count these bonds toward the debt limit to give residents a more accurate look at how much debt uh, the city's actually incurred? And the bonds that um, aren't subject to public notice don't require a petition either, but the bonds that are uh, subject to public notice could uh, go to a ballot initiative if 15,000 signatures are collected. I feel that um, if these bonds are going to be added and issued a public notice for, they should also be under that condition with um, that can be put to a ballot initiative under petition if 15,000 signatures are collected. 
Okay. And does that conclu conclude your comment? Oh, that concludes my comment. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, just for members of the public to know in transparency, uh, we have submitted a you know a re uh, request to have a response to the letter that was submitted uh, last week. Uh, I will take the opportunity really quick to just chime in with law as well as Mr. Corley. I know it's going to take probably a couple of weeks to get that done. Uh, we are in the middle of or go approaching a couple key uh, events here uh, at the city. One is our capital agenda and the other uh, is budget season. So I know LPD as well as law and OCFO's officers working very diligently to get that information. But Mr. Corley, can we chime in a little bit just to kind of get a timeline? Will it be a couple of weeks so we can have a response uh, to the letter that was submitted uh, by Mr. Malik Shelton last committee? Uh, as well as the law department maybe chime in on where we are relative to the opinions and talking to our bond lawyers uh, as well. Uh, Mr. Thank you, Portland. Mr. Chair. Good afternoon, uh, council members. Um, yes, please give us about a couple of weeks. We are working right now with um, Mr. Naglik in the OCFO's office, uh, who is the finance director, and he works very closely with bond council Miller Canfield. So we are waiting to get um, responses from them. Thank you very much, Mr. Corley, and I appreciate your diligence and to the law department. Through the chair, Graham Anderson Law Department, I would uh, echo uh, uh, LPD's uh, timeline. Two weeks uh, should be fair. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Uh, so we heard it here, right here in this committee, uh, that that has been submitted, is being worked on. Uh, and as soon as we receive those responses, uh, as the chair of this committee, I will mark it as a line item. Uh, so let's move to our virtual public comment. Uh, again, if you'd like to participate, please indicate so now by raising your hand. Uh, Mr. Leonard, how many callers do we have today for public comment joining us virtually? Good afternoon, Mr. Chair and honorable committee members. Today we have five hands that are raised for virtual comment. Okay, we our have first five. caller. Oh, pardon me, Mr. Leonard, we have five hands raised. Uh, at this point, I will cut off public comment. If you have not had your hand raised prior to that, uh, you still have the opportunity to submit your remarks to us as well as the clerk. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Leonard, please proceed. Our first caller. Our first caller, Mr. Chair, is Karen Winston. Ms. Winston, you have two minutes for public comment. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Uh, good afternoon. For the record, my name is Karen Winston. Um, AKA uh, uh, victimized D2 uh, city Detroit retiree. Um, I want to speak on the income tax board of review. Uh, they're doing a lot of, they being the city is selecting a lot of uh, board and commission members. So uh, the last uh, active uh, board we had was, uh, we had one member in 2015. So that precludes your council term, but it does not preclude um, President Sheffield, nor uh, Mr. Tate, nor Benson. So I think we need to get that <clears throat> board reactivated so that people have an opportunity to protest their income taxes uh, assessment as well, um, uh, as well as the property tax. Uh, so that's a three-member board. You know how we have cameras on our officers. I think we need cameras on all of our um, officials, you know, because just like the police can, you know, fabricate, everybody else can fabricate. So, you know, like Mr. Naglick, right, what we're doing right now, he says this, she says that, <clears throat> because, uh, you know, the, the story is in the, uh, the writer, whoever has the pen, that's who's gonna write the story. So, <clears throat> you know, we, I think we need to have more oversight, <clears throat> especially when we have people that don't really have a history in the city or, or you know, are operating in the city, when they just suggest 
what they want you to believe, and then they'll get legislature to preempt, uh, to, uh, uh, to construct the, those laws. So this is not fair. This is all po you know, post ex facto. We're coming in the back door with laws uh, to lay out things that we want or that we told uh, fibs about. So we need to do some more research. We need to have oversight. We just don't sit and believe what folks tell us. We need to be able to cite codes when someone tells you something. What code is that? What's the ordinance number? You know, we just need more oversight. Everything's mayhem right now. This is a horribly run administration in my historic view. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Winston. Next caller. Next caller, Mr. Chair, is Ms. Carolyn Hughes. Ms. Hughes, you have two minutes for public comment. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Uh, good afternoon, Honorable Council uh, and Chairperson, may I speak? You may, ma'am. My name is Carolyn Hughes, and I am calling on um, two items in public comment. Uh, the 2014 proceedings for, this is to the clerk's office, the 2014 proceedings for the city council are missing or unavailable. And the other is to remind the city clerk that this public hearing that follows requires her to keep track of who people, what people are against the proposed spending of $156 million in surplus monies uh, by the mayor. And I think the people have a say in whether or not we want to spend our money, our surplus dollars, the way he's, he is suggesting. So I would like to have a count of the people who are for and against during the public hearing. Uh, that should be noted. Um, I also want to uh, speak on the uh, illegal uh, evictions that are occurring in the city to the homeless people, um, making people homeless. Um, if, if, if the police are going to follow the law, we have an ordinance. I, we seem to have a, a goon squad going around throwing people out of their houses. I'm sure you all saw the report. So if 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 this happens, people should call the police because the police should do their jobs per, per the ordinance. The ordinance says the person the landlord needs to have be in compliance, right? That's what the ordinance says. And my other uh, uh, suggestion is to help the homeless is to, instead of giving Sheila Cockrell uh, all of our CDGB money, buy uh, the Detroit public schools and turn them into uh, homeless shelters instead of paying uh, billionaires millions to have hotel rooms that they eventually throw them out of after the ARPA money is all gone. One such incident is the, the shop that's already uh, set up and gone without uh, any clearance, tax clearance. Um, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Winston. Next caller, please. Mr. Chair, next caller is Vicki Fields. Vicki Phil, you have two minutes for public comment. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Vicki Field, you have two minutes for public comment. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Good afternoon to all. My name is Vicki Fields. May I please address the council through the chair? You and may. may I be clear? Thank you very much. I would like to have it on record that I vote no against 7.1. 
and the ideas that the money could be used for would be strategic ways to disperse the monies that would benefit the neighborhoods, including mine and excluding Corktown. I think things have been done enough over there. Youth programs, overtaxed properties, bus routes, wages, and upkeep, helping seniors that remain to remain in their home, retired city workers as far as their wages, overgrowth cleanup throughout the city, the homeless, a stabilized plan for the homeless. That's just a few ideas. And as a born and raised resident and a voter, it is our right to have a say what these funds are used for. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you, Ms. Fields. Next caller, please. Mr. Chair, next caller is Michael Lamont Cunningham, Jr. Mr. Cunningham, you have two minutes for public comment. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Mr. Cunningham, two minutes for public comment. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Brother Cunningham. 313-444-9114. You ask what that number is. It extends one time about three minutes. It's something I want you to hear. Everyone in the sound of my voice. I got like uh maybe like six people text me because I've been asking folks to ride the coaches, the buses. Uh, after 6 p.m. and on the weekends, I've gotten some good feedback, but I want you to test it out yourself. Anybody on your couch, uh, in your car, the person's listening, anybody, I'm asking you to ride the buses uh, after 6 p.m. and on the weekends. Uh, that's when they're at their worst. And don't be, a, uh, uh, don't be uh, uppity, I would say. Uh, I'd like you to talk to the person next to you on the buses, ask them their experiences and what they've been through riding Detroit Department of Transportation. Please don't be uppity. Go ahead and talk to the people around you while you're riding Detroit Department of Transportation, the green buses. Uh, also on Facebook, Force Subservience Cunningham. On Facebook, Forced Subservience Cunningham. On Facebook, Force Subservience Cunningham. Um, it's anonymous to look, it's anonymous to call and listen. Um, many of you have, and I appreciate it. Um, also, I'm hoping that bus tickets and uh, uh, validation of parking when people come down to city council meetings, nightly meetings or daily meetings. I don't know what has to happen for that to happen. I know that you guys usually don't respond back to people's statements, but I think that's a good idea. It eliminates a hurdle that some people may have coming down to council meetings. I do appreciate you all. Have a good evening. Thank you, Brother Cunningham. As always, we appreciate your advocacy for transportation. Uh, I will note that my office is working on scheduling some time to ride uh, the DDOT uh, in the evening uh, when we don't have community meetings, obviously. Uh, there are tons that go on. Uh, so we appreciate you to, uh, for still advocating for that. 
Uh, as far as your request, it is noted, and, and my office will look into that. Thank you. Next caller, please. Mr. Cunningham was our last caller, Mr. Chair. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Leonard. All right, so now I will call back to order uh, to order the 105 public hearing. With the members or parties that are participating, please queue up. And I believe joining us as well, we have Donnie Johnson, LaShonda Davis as well. All right, I think we've got all the parties on. Uh, who would like to proceed first? Please state your name for the record. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Mr. Chair. Uh, my name is Steve Watson. I'm the Deputy CFO and Budget Director. Mr. Good Watson. afternoon, Mr. Ch good afternoon, Mr. Chair and Count Committee members. I'm Donnie Johnson. I'm the Associate Budget Director. Okay, thank you. Good. Good afternoon, Mr. Chair and additional committee members. Excuse me. My name is Lashonda Davis, and I am the Deputy COO from the Mayor's Office. Good afternoon, sir. Um, my name is Dayo Akiemi. I'm the Deputy Director, Department of Public Works. Good afternoon, Mr. Chair. Marcel Todd, Director, City Planning Commission, Deputy Director, Legislative Policy Division. Good afternoon to you all. And then I believe, Mr. Chair, we have our in Committee of the Whole participants as well. Yes. Would you like to go and state your name for the record? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Irv Corley from uh, LPD. Good afternoon, Mr. Chair, Chair members. Uh, Renee Short from the LPD. Good afternoon, Mr. Chair, committee members. Edward King, LPD. Good afternoon, Mr. Chair, Philip Keller, LPD. Okay. All right, now that we have all the folks who are participating in this discussion, or I'm sorry, in this public hearing, uh, who would like to go first? Mr. Chair, I believe our run of show this uh, afternoon will be pretty concise. I believe Mr. Uh, Johnson will provide uh, a, an overview or summary of the proposed capital agenda. Uh, LPD-CPC can follow with some of our brief review comments and also uh, recognize the questions that have been raised by members of this honorable body. And then I think Mr. Johnson may be closing with just a brief uh, summary of the responses that the administration has actually provided. Okay, thank I believe you they were much. just released earlier today. And Mr. Johnson, would you be requiring uh, sharing capabilities? I will, but one, one minor correction is that Steve Watson will be will now be giving the presentation. <clears throat> um, but he and so he will need the sharing capability. Familiar your face. <laughs> So please provide uh, Mr. Watson with sharing capabilities and then proceed, Mr. Watson. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. And while I'm pulling that up, I mean, as, as noted, we'll offer a very, very brief overview because we want to make sure there's plenty of time for um, you know, discussion and, and the rest of sort of the kind of follow-up items as uh, uh, Mr. Todd uh, had just described. Uh, let's see. Is there a screen? All right, so here are the, the slides that we prepared. Uh, again, they're very kind of high-level slides um, and not meant to sort of replace the, the kind of full breadth of the capital agenda report, which is uh, available on the city's website uh, and was submitted to the city council back on November 1st. 
Uh, so again, we're here today to talk about the proposed 2022 capital agenda. And so, you know, what is that? Um, so it's a five-year uh, capital planning document that is meant to lay out future capital needs for the city across many departments and affiliated agencies, as well as uh, begin to examine potential funding sources for those needs because the city's general fund and budget, you know, undoubtedly and every year can't sustain all of these needs, but we often are the beneficiary of state and federal grants that help us cover our capital needs, um, you know, ongoing funding streams from state and federal government for those needs as well. Um, there's often philanthropic dollars. Some of our partner agencies have funding sources of their own, and, but it's meant to be a comprehensive plan so that we understand not only what the next five years uh, of potential projects will be, but again, um, you know, how all those funding sources interrelate to one another. And so we, uh, we prepare the capital agenda uh, pursuant to Section uh, 8-202 of the of the city's charter, which requires um, the Office of Budget as well as our various partner agencies uh, within the executive branch uh, and the independent departments as well to prepare uh, a capital agenda for the mayor to propose uh, uh, by November 1st of the year. And we do this every two years. It's on a biennial cycle. Um, again, it includes all the city departments and various uh, affiliated agencies. Uh, some really important clarifying notes, though, um, especially as we're coming up on budget season here very soon, is the capital agenda isn't a budget. It doesn't appropriate money, uh, but it helps with planning the budget as well as uh, our. You know, when we look for grant opportunities, when we work with other uh, funding partners, again, it helps to guide us and guide uh, that future process. Um, so again, not not a not, it's not a binding plan, um, but obviously there's all you know many of the things in here are things that you'll see you know in future budgets, um, some of which we'll even be discussing later today, as well as during budget season. Um, you'll see them throughout the year as things come up for various contracts and project announcements and the like. Uh, but really, you know, it starts with this planning document. And so, again, it doesn't guarantee everything in here will be funded. You know, again, we're, we're hopeful that we can accomplish much of what's in this plan for the next five years. But a lot of it is contingent on identifying funding before it can proceed. Um, you know, just for the public's benefit, you know, what, when we talk about capital projects, what do we mean? So we mean, um, you know, when we're, when we're building infrastructure or new public facilities or improving those public assets. Uh, you know, in ways that are going to last for many years to come. I mean, that's to be, you know, that's to distinguish from the annual operating budget when we're paying for things like city employees and personnel and city ongoing city services. You know, that's part of our annual operating budget process. You know, this is laying out a plan for capital needs into the future and then uh, planning for the city's capital budget. Uh, you know, the, some of the projects that are contained in this uh, capital agenda are things that will have an impact on the physical landscape of Detroit well into the future, um, all about how we're going to create uh, more vibrant and inclusive neighborhoods and increase uh, access to opportunity for every resident. Um, so, again, very high level, the total plan um, as submitted is over $2.4 billion dollars. Uh, and it spans a five year period, starting with next fiscal year that begins July 1. Uh, through fiscal year 2028, so ending June 30th of 2028. Um, some common themes among these categories and the projects contained within the capital agenda are, again, a focus on infrastructure that supports critical city services and improvements in the neighborhoods. Uh, it promotes state of good repair for essential facilities, vehicles, and equipment. 
Uh, it continues investments along our commercial corridors, uh, parks and recreation. Uh, and there's uh, quite a bit in the capital agenda about um, how we're expanding affordable housing opportunities. And again, often with uh, external funding. Um, you know, the summary below, which is extracted right from the report, breaks the capital agenda into major categories of health and public safety, housing and economic development, open spaces and recreation, technology and government infrastructure, transportation, and then um, funding related to affiliated entities. Uh, so as you can see, um, the full span of the five-year plan is a little over $2.4 billion. Uh, and so uh, where can folks find a copy of the proposed capital agenda if they haven't already? Um, it's, it's on the current proposed capital agenda and prior years. They're available in the same place where you would find the city's budget and our revenue conference reports and other financial reports. If you go to DetroitMI.gov slash budget, um, there's, uh, if you scroll down a little bit, there's these four buttons. Um, and as you can see, the first one's for the budget, second one's the revenue conference, third one's capital agenda. If you click on that button, you'll see the current proposed capital agenda as well as uh, ones from the past few cycles. And so I'd encourage folks to go out there if they haven't already to examine the full report. Uh, again, we submitted it back on November 1st, so it has been out there for a while. But again, since it's the topic of discussion today, I wanted just to make sure everyone who's participating uh, knew where to find it as well as our other material. Um, and with that, we're happy to take questions as well as discuss um, uh, next steps and uh, hear from the public. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Watson, for that. Uh, questions from members. Chair recognizes member Santiago Romero. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you all so much for being here. I do have a number of questions, and um, a lot of these questions are focused around um, the questions that I've already been hearing from residents um, regarding the proposed um, capital agenda. There is some funding here for emergency demolitions. Can you share with us why we're putting more money in demo when um, uh, the public would say we already have a lot of demo money um, allocated? Uh, thank you, and through the chair to member Santiago Romero, uh, you know, so I believe we're, and that may be also a reference to the proposed budget amendment, $156 million, um, which uh, I believe is the next line item on the agenda. But to respond to the question, so the rationale for the additional um, emergency demolition funding uh, really comes down to uh, the demolition uh, funding approach here in the city, you know, has sort of multiple legs to it. So there's the proposal and bonds that people remember from the ballot initiative of, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and that the city has been spending. That's being used for uh, publicly held uh, residential structures, uh, namely those um, held by the land bank. And so through a combination of demolitions and stabilizations, that funding is addressing uh, those uh, abandoned homes. Um, separately, we have ARPA funding that's been appropriated specifically for industrial and commercial blight, uh, blight remediation. Um, and so then what that leaves is there's privately held residential structures um, that, um, you know, that may be in need um, of demolition on an emergency basis or through the dangerous buildings process that goes through city council. And, and that, for that, um, those needs, we have to use general fund dollars because they're not eligible for the bond funds and the bond funds are otherwise committed to the land bank structures. Um, and usually those needs, especially the straight up emergency demolitions are needed on an urgent basis. And so having general fund dollars available 
to get the work done immediately is critical. What we do through the law department um, and our other partners is we always attempt to seek recoupment from those private property owners. Um, you know, admittedly, it's not always successful um, depending on the state of that property owner, but um, certainly it goes through a process to seek that recoupment. But that doesn't change the fact that to deal with the immediate emergency, funds need to be available to, to do so. Thank you, Mr. Watson. Uh, through the chair to you, you are correct. I jumped the gun. There are a number of conversations that we're having um, regarding the capital agenda and how we're going to use our, our surplus. So apologies if I cause any confusion there, but you are correct. Um, that is for a, a further discussion. Um, do you have a question? Um, you mentioned infrastructure investments. Can you please share what that looks like? Um, so um, I'll, you know, kind of look to some of my colleagues uh, to, to help out with this, but but broadly speaking, you know, the capital agenda speaks to the various work DPW does around, um, you know, roads and, and, and public infrastructure. There's also the sections concerning the water and sewer department and, and all of their efforts um, dealing with the water and sewer infrastructure. Um, but, uh, but, you know, both Mr. Johnson and uh, Ms. Davis, if you guys kind of had some additional color you wanted to add to that, um, please do. Dayal, can you address uh, some of the projects that are being handled by DPW in regards to infrastructure, please? Um, to the chair, there, there, I realized actually, like um, the councilwoman, I jumped on a little too early as well. Um, some of the things that we, we will be doing for the long term will be sidewalk, um, project road resurfacing project, um, you know, in addition to just a state of good repair to keep our road infrastructure lasting longer, um, we also want to make sure they are safer as well. So those are a few examples of um, things that we'll be looking forward to doing with the capital um, agenda. Understood, thank you. Um, one comment about the sidewalk repa uh, replacement program that we'll be investing in. It would be great if we could receive a map of what's already been repaired and where the new repairs are going to be. Um, there's been a couple of questions from committee members asking about the equity of how we disperse our investments across the city um, and ensuring that all of our neighborhoods are able to see some investments, especially those um, that have not seen that kind of investment in the past. Um, and then I will yield it back to you, Mr. Chair. I think the majority of my other questions are regarding the, the surplus discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Member Santiago Romero. Chair recognizes Vice Chair Young. Thank you so much, I appreciate that. Now, always good to be with all of you. Always good to see all you guys here, uh, including you, Mr. Todd. Good to see you, sir. Um, I just wanted to ask to whoever this might concern, um, when you're talking about blight, does that also include um, buildings that have been collapsed due to fire? Uh, I There is a property right off of West Grand Boulevard in Lafayette that caught fire. I'm sure you heard about that caught fire um, just, you know, late last year, about December last year. And it's just, it's been torn down and they, and they did a good job of that. And uh, shout out to DFD. Uh, they truly are Detroit's bravest. But there's just a whole lot of debris and rubble that's left there. 
So I don't know if this includes that aspect of it. I was like the ditto, um, my colleague, um, uh, colleague uh, member Romero, when she's talking about how we need to see a map in terms of where this money is being spent. I would also like to see um, a timeline or, 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 or some sort of a metric. I think it would be more of like a, um, a dashboard in terms of how many of these projects we need to have and how many of these projects do we have left in order to achieve completion? So, for instance, in terms of the blight issue, how many pro- how many houses have we knocked down, and how many houses do we need to knock down in order to achieve a blightless city? You know, how many roads have we fixed, and how many roads do we need to fix in order to attain? You're never going to have a hundred percent. You know, um, um, you're never going to have a perfect situation. But how many projects we need to complete to where we be somewhere within that? You know, eighty or ninety percent. Or where we could have uh, roads that would be where you could see as a whole, they all our roads would be at least in good condition or better. So I would like to really just kind of see where we're going and where that projection is, you know, either through a timeline or just through a numbers basis, a numerical basis. So not only I know that for myself, but I can also say that to my constituents when I go out there. Hey, look, this is how many houses we knocked down. This is how many more houses we need to knock down. That's why this money is going here, because I got a hard time justifying where those funds are if people aren't seeing results. And that's really what we got to start talking more about a lot is emphasizing on results of what we're doing, because it's not just in terms of what we haven't done or what needs to be done, which is important. And the biggest room in the world is a room for improvement. But I got to know what we've done and I got to know. So it makes it easier to say this is what we've done. This is why we made that decision. And then this is why we're going to continue to go down that route. Or I'll just get, or I got to go say to them, you know what, you're right, we need to change course. And then we're having a different discussion when it comes to uh, budget surplus. So, I mean, I know that was a lot, but basically just to sum it up, I just would really like to know what is happening in terms of um, debris, in terms of, you know, major sites that need to be cleaned up. Uh, to add to that, what are we doing? What, what's our agenda up to this board, DPW? What's our agenda in terms of trash and uh, in terms of picking up? You know, and, I, and I'm not talking about like lots that have, um, you know, that are sprinkled with like, you know, like little trash litter. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like major areas that have like problems for years. You know, the North End where they have uh, where they have a project where they have a lot of debris and construction materials and things of that nature. How many of those sites do we have? And what are we doing in order? And what is the money? Where are the money going to fix up those type of sites? Through the chair to Councilman Young. Um, so if you could provide us with the specific address to ensure that we are making sure we can provide you an update for that location that's on West Brand Boulevard in Lafayette. Right off of we'll West Brand Boulevard in Lafayette. Yep. Yeah, we'll make sure that we pass that on to Director Count so that she could provide you with an updated status and we can have someone go out to review to ensure that the, the property is up to standard. And if not, we will correct. Yeah, well, um, well there's, there's like nothing there. That's, that's what I said. Like, 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 it's just, it's just... It's where a property used to be. Like, it's just been completely just obliterated. You know, it's, it's um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oblivion. You know, it turns into sense where it's been reduced to ash or reduced okay. to rubble. Because that's what it is. It's just, it's just a whole bunch of just rubble. Because the fire, t- it was an abandoned building. The fire took place, got caught. They put the fire out, but it had rubble there. And so I just want to know, like, where is that, where is this money going to clean up those types of projects? Most definitely. 
I know some projects you got to be careful because they're super fun sites. So you got to be careful, you know, environmental and things that nature. I get that. So if, if I know that, I could go stay there for some projects. But I, but this is just recent, so I don't think that's the case. So if Correct. I just had that, I appreciate it. Most definitely, we can provide you with the status and then what are the next steps for that specific location. Yes. And then in regards to your additional requests for reports in regards to results um, with different statuses from different projects, we can provide you with what has been completed regarding um, demolitions and yet what is yet to come. And then as well as the trash for the major areas, we need to identify or have specific areas identified based on size because major and minor projects have to be stratified out and we can provide you with updates in regards to that as well. That would be, that'd be excellent. Um, also, you know what, never mind, I don't think that's involved in the capital agenda. I'm, thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Member Vice Chair. Uh, so just a couple questions. Obviously, as we view, review the uh, capital agenda summary, uh, some key uh, plans in there relative to uh, transportation. Uh, often uh, we hear many questions or we have many concerns from residents about transportation. Uh, and so I'm seeing that, you know, as far as our budget, we're at 125, 892, 390. Uh, and then proposed uh, relative in the five-year capital plan, we're looking at 237 million. Uh, can we just shed a little bit of light on what those projects look like? Uh, what should the public expect to see if adopted? Uh, you know, what, what does that look like relative to transportation? Through the chair, so for um, DDOT as well as DTC for the people um, mover, we have multiple projects um, in reference to facility improvements, to technology improvements, as well as to acquiring additional buses, um, as well as uh, different infrastructure that is associated with all that goes along with transportation. Um, with that, we are of purchasing additional diesel buses. Uh, we are moving into the EV field, so electric vehicles. There's infrastructure that has to be put in place to basically take, move that project forward or that program forward. Um, also with that, we have the facilities that are associated with our bus stations, as well as our bus stops. Um, we have the Coolidge project that is um, in motion to be moving forward over the next few years. So there's multiple projects that are um, basically at different stages or phases uh, for construction, as well as in process for purchases um, that are associated with that amount that is requested. That's that's fair. Uh, we want obviously going to take a little deeper dive into that. Uh, I know members of the public are going to have questions relative to that. Uh, also wanted to uh, have the opportunity to talk about housing and economic development relative to the capital agenda. Uh, just to shed some light, uh, dealing with transparency, what does that look like? Can you elaborate a little more, be a little more specific as we have a wide range of housing projects? Absolutely. I mean, I know we have housing projects. And so just for you know clarity for members of the public, when we're talking about capital uh, and these projects that are coming and they're going to be developed, what type of projects are we looking at? Uh, are some of these, are we trying to target affordable housing units? Are we trying to target low income housing? Are we trying to uh, ensure that some of the housing units that are already existing uh, get some uh, assistance 
Uh, obviously, when you look at it on the agenda, it's very vague. Uh, and and uh, I don't want to say ambiguous, but doesn't dive deep and tell the entire story. Uh, so, uh, what what kind of uh, capital improvements, if uh, are we looking at relative to housing and economic development? Through the chair. So to 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 your more specific question, thank you. Uh, the priority is definitely of the administration is low income housing as well as. Uh, uh, affordable housing is a high priority. Uh, with that, there's definitely funding associated with that. And in addition to uh, with assisting with current projects, with making sure that they move forward. Um, there are multiple different um, projects, and I think they're outlined out in the agenda. I'm not sure what page they're on, but however, uh, we have in multiple phases or stages, and so we are making sure that we get those projects to completion, as well as starting additional projects that definitely focus on affordable housing for our citizens and low-income housing to, to make sure that we have those aspects covered. Thank you. Uh, and then just a question about something near and dear to my heart, because it's in District 7. Okay. Uh, obviously, having the opportunity to review the capital agenda, we see uh, we talk about cameras being instituted around the AMC site. Uh, we know that even in the past, that has been a target for illegal dumping uh, and blight, as well as other nefarious activity uh, around that area. Uh, can we? Do we have an idea where these cameras will be situated? And are, the, and are we looking at some of these other sites that we have now that are being developed that have gone through some of the same issues? Are we, look at, are we looking at instituting cameras in those areas to ensure uh, that those things don't happen? Through the chair, we have yet to finalize exactly where those cameras will be. However, upon that decision, we can definitely provide that information. Um, and then to your to the second part of your question, yes, there are additional sites that are being vetted to and see if there are cameras that will be provided. Um, that is definitely being and can taken into consideration because blight or um, dropping uh, people dropping or dr distributing trash in multiple places has become a, a huge problem that we have uh, suffered here in the city. And we want to ensure that we are doing all to prosecute or to identify those persons to stop or to alleviate this problem going forward. But yes, we do have plans to get additional cameras at additional sites that kind of tag along with, you know, um, the, the developments uh, in addition to what we have going on with expanding our green light program. Thank you. Uh, and kind of backtracking in a little bit, but we know about the Detroit Transportation uh, Corporation. Uh, again, mm -hmm. we get those calls about increasing ridership, participation from residents. Uh, we're putting a quite a bit of money uh, into that. Um, and so the question is, have we looked at other practices, best practices uh, around the country, uh, other municipalities that may be larger or as large as the city of Detroit? Mm -hmm. Uh, to work on increasing uh, the ridership, not only the ridership, but also the experience uh, and the environment uh, that our riders have here in the city of Detroit. Uh, I can speak specifically, I've had the opportunity to travel to, to many cities, um, uh, metropolitan cities, uh, and transit uh, is, it, it, we, we would look at it like it was a thing of the future relative to what we have now. 
so, but are we working and looking at some of those other municipalities so we can start taking the steps to improve our transit here and, and, and take it into, I don't want to say, you know, take it into the next decade or whatnot uh, where we need to be? So through the chair, um, specific to the DTC and the people mover, I'm excited to say that we now have new leadership and with new leadership comes a new vision. And with that vision um, under Robert Kramer, we have now started to move into looking at best practices of what's been going on nationwide to try to expand our services over at the people mover and to enhance ridership, as well as the, the experience of what you receive from moving forward or riding on the people mover. So that is all already in gear or in motion under our new leadership. So I'm excited to say what's going to be coming forward is um greatly anticipated and should be a pleasure for those riders that ride the people mover, um, as well as the vision of what we're trying to do or accomplish moving forward. Um, overall transportation, I agree with you. Um, as a city, we would like to not only increase what uh, is happening with our transportation needs for our citizens, as we see what is um, the trend of other municipalities around the country uh, to enhance that, which is why I um, discussed earlier, moving into our electric vehicle uh, transportation, as well as uh, different aspects of the experience of transportation here at the city of Detroit. Thank you. And I, I will note that I believe last week, last meeting, we had uh, an audit presented to us uh, relative to the DC, DTC. Uh, and it was concerning, to say the least. Uh, and so uh, I know uh, members of this committee, as well as other members of the council, have a very keen eye uh, of what is going to be going on with the DTC uh, to ensure that on that side, you know, not just the administrative side, they're remaining compliant. I mean, obviously, that helps foster an environment where you can create and, you know, move new ideas and new recommendations. Uh, but we are, you know, obviously I can speak for myself, uh, very concerned about the direction. Um, I have a little bit more confidence knowing that there's been a change over, there's new leadership. Uh, however, again, we're keeping that eye on that. And, and I believe that we want to make the people mover the best that we can. Uh, I believe it's one of the more unutilized uh, assets that we have now. Uh, and it's going to take some some really, it'll it'll take some uh, some great plans uh, to take it to where it needs to be, and so uh, we are looking forward uh, to that. Uh, and there are many other questions, obviously, that have been submitted by colleagues. LPD is going to go over that uh, shortly. Uh, I will entertain uh, one one more question from each members. I know we've got to move along. LPD still has to go through. Uh, the other six members' questions that we have and address some of those, uh, you know, and that were submitted. So uh, first, I will go to Member Santiago Romero, who had her hand raised first, then I will go to Member Vice Chair, Member Santiago Romero. Thank you so much, Mr. Chair. Um, since we're discussing the people mover through you, um, to whoever can answer this question, um, there's been dreams of potentially expanding the people mover. 
Has there been any conversation around expanding the people mover? Um, I think right now it's currently about 2.5 miles. We do have the queue line. I'm not sure if there's been discussions about expanding that. Um, I do understand we have a lot of federal funding coming in for transportation. So wondering if there's been any discussion um, or plans to expand the people mover, um, the, the likelihood of that. Through the chair, uh, the, the discussions are based on contingency of funding. Um, with that, as the administration uh, look to uh, procure or, or get additional funding, uh, we will then be able to make more firm decisions on what the future of the people mover looks like. But until we have uh, basically obtained additional funding to, to, to move us in that direction. Uh, we will be having additional conversations, but until the firm funding is confirmed, that, that will be uh, just in, in that stage or phase. Thank you. So it sounds like it may be possible, just depending on funding, the way that everything is. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank Correct. you, Member Santiago Romero. Chair recognizes Vice Chair Young. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, Ms. Davis, um, it is at the, the property I was talking about is 711 Helen Street. Is at East Lafayette. It was a 65 alarm fire. It's the southwest corner at 711 Helen Street at East Lafayette. So I just, it, again, it was a 65 alarm fire. So I just wanted to just kind of let you know where that property was. Um, my question was about the issue of housing. And I just wanted to know. Um, what kind of houses are we actually talking about uh, building? Are we talking about uh, modular homes? Are we talking about manufactured homes? Um, what are we talking about exactly? And has 3D printing been part of that conversation at all? Through the chair, um, there are a variety of types of different um, home types or, or residential uh, projects that are being uh, basically proposed as well as constructed, uh, we can provide you the specifics in regards to each project that is listed in the capital agenda. Okay. Thank mm -hmm. you. Because I, I, I just want to know if that if those are, you know, primarily, like, you know, I think member, I think a chairman, uh, Durhal brought it up, you know, primarily in terms of low income, more affordable. I, I also want to know if we were doing anything specifically for the homeless, and the reason why I brought up uh, 3D printing was because there's 3D printing companies that have actually printed uh, houses specifically for the homeless uh, in Texas and other parts of the country. And so I think that we could definitely, you know, I, you know, you got to give me some time. I got to reach out and talk to the right people and do it the right way. But I think there's an opportunity for us to be able to do that for people who are in the city of Detroit, too, who are suffering. I think it's about. I mean, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like 17,000 homeless in there. It might be more, a little bit less. I don't know the exact number because these are old numbers I'm going off of. But I think there's an opportunity because you're not going to solve all that in one swoop. But I think there's an opportunity to be able to plan that out over time and be able to work that over time where you can significantly reduce that and you can build houses that are not only better but also are cheaper than what we're doing now and will last longer. So I think there's just a win-win all around. Through the chair, there is um, dollars that are allocated in this agenda specifically for projects for uh, homelessness. So um, once reviewed, you'll see that we have taken in consider, uh, consideration 
uh, home, homelessness as well as the lower income and affordable housing. Yeah, I think it takes pressure off of um, the um, NSOs and the homeless agencies that are doing that. They're at capacity now. You know what I'm saying? I'm not. I don't want to sell wolf tickets here and say we're going to completely solve it. I think it just it, you're just doing a little bit more. You know how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. So thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you, Member. Excellent point. Thank you. Thank you, Member Vice Chair. Uh, before we go to public comment, we will hear from LPD as well. Uh, to speak uh, into a number of questions that were submitted by council members as well as LPD's response uh, thus far uh, from what they have seen uh, from the capital agenda. Uh, I will note, members of the public, that if you wish to participate in public comment for the 105 public hearing, please indicate so now. I will close public comment very soon. Uh, so if you would like to participate in our 105 public comment for this, or the hearing for the... If you'd like to participate for a public comment for our 105 hearing, please indicate so now by raising your hand. Uh, and we'll also note that during that public comment, your comments must be germane uh, or related to the 105 public hearing. Uh, so next, we will move to Mr. Corley before we move to public comment and, Ms. and LPD, uh, Ms. Short as, as well. Uh, so Mr. Corley, please proceed. Uh, I know you've received the capital agenda as well, uh, and proceed. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. So we put out uh, a number of questions on the capital agenda, um, and it's my understanding that the administration is working on responding to those questions um, maybe as, as um, quickly as today sometime. Um, and so once we receive those, which are primarily um, housekeeping you know, type questions. You know, we, we feel that additional information should be provided for certain things, um, uh, greater explanations. Uh, we pointed out that there were a couple uh, entities that were omitted from the capital agenda, the Detroit Public Library, um, the emphasis on the proposal in um, bonds, demolition bonds were, um, was omitted. And so it's my understanding that those will be uh, reenacted in, in the uh, capital agenda, which we're happy to hear. Um, so it sounds like the administration is willing to um, either provide further explanations in the, in the uh, revised capital agenda or to incorporate um, some items that we felt should be in the capital agenda, and we really appreciate that. Uh, now I will ask Ms. Short if she might have anything to add. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Corley. Through the chair, um, I just want to note that this capital agenda is $1 billion uh, increase over the previous capital agenda. We encouraged by about, about that. Uh, certainly, uh, what we're looking for uh, in our review is uniformity, meaning that we're looking for the information that's required by the charter to be in the document and consistency from one capital agenda to another, that projects that have been proposed that we get an update on them um, and the status. And so as Mr. Corley noted, there were some things missing. Additional information was requested. We had a very uh, meaningful, uh, productive discussion with the OCFO and uh, looking forward to reviewing the responses to our questions. 
Thank you very much, Ms. Short. And just for transparency of the public, after today's public hearing, uh, we will, uh, from our office, be putting this as a discussion on the next agenda as a line item to have the opportunity to respond to the rest of the council members' questions and things that come out of today's agenda, uh, whether council members have recommendations of things that should be added or deleted from the capital agenda. Uh, and so that, will, uh, that discussion will take place uh, at BFA next Wednesday. Uh, my team and I will mark that as a uh, discussion line ad item, uh, and if the clerk could please note that in advance, uh, that is something that we will uh, add to the agenda uh, to discuss and go over the responses, uh, for, you know, from the administration relative to uh, council members' questions, uh, as well as recommendations that council may have for the capital agenda, whether that be to add or delete something. Uh, is there anything further? Uh, I know Mr. Todd, would you like to chime in? Don't want to miss the opportunity for you to do that before I go to public comment. Certainly, thank you, Mr. Chair. I will be brief. Uh, you've certainly covered the procedural aspects. Uh, again, the only thing that I would uh, like to add, just in terms of uh, reflecting the various comments uh, concerns and suggestions that you just referenced coming from your colleagues uh, that have that have been formally submitted along with those from the uh, City Planning Commission. Uh, as Mr. Corley said, some of these items are housekeeping in nature, just looking for clarifications to ensure that uh, what is referenced follows protocols, uh, is consistent with the expectations put forward by the uh, City Charter, and then maybe uh, a second level of uh, concerns that could be characterized as um, where there may be some omissions of the sort of projects that we are generally aware of because they have been discussed in other settings around the council table collective, uh, but for whatever reason don't appear in the capital agenda. And then lastly, I think more major items such as uh, that which Mr. Corley has already uh, made reference to in terms of uh, uh, the uh, demolition department and the library not being reflected. And again, as has been alluded to, we've had an opportunity to speak briefly with the administration. They've previewed to a certain extent the responses that you are getting. And it does sound as though there are many favorable responses. So we do look forward to reviewing that document and being prepared for your discussion on next week. Thank you very through much, the, Mr. Todd. Through the chair. Ms. Davis. So thank you. Um, so the administration wants to stress that transparency is a key must for us. And in this document, um, so with all of the issues and comments and concerns that came about uh, via LPD uh, and CD CDC, that we have basically either added back those items and addressed them, or basically added information that was what we had to the best of our ability. And then if there's any additional concerns or questions or comments that need to be addressed, that we will definitely go back to provide additional information if needed. Uh, I feel like the responses, as I have reviewed them myself, are thorough and efficient. However, if not, uh, we need to have additional discussion. We are open to that. And with that, as we want this to be as thorough as well as take next steps to make it 
as best as possible. And we are doing all things to improve upon what is needed to on a go forward basis. Thank you, Ms. Davis. And, I, and again, I, I don't think anyone was insinuating that it's not so. Uh, I, but I do want to afford council members after today's hearing the opportunity to come back and still further discuss. Uh, as we know, our budget is very fluid uh, and is a moving piece, uh, particularly after we uh, have not even discussed the next line item uh, that is coming up. Uh, there may be some additional requests uh, that come. So. Uh, I, I appreciate the diligence of the OCFO's office as well as the LPD and CPC uh, on this capital agenda. Uh, I don't know if there is anything further uh, that you all would like to say or present. Uh, if not, I'll move to public comment. I am hoping that you stick around because I am pretty sure that we're going to have some comments during public comment. I want to have the ability to provide responses to the public. And so with that, now I will close public comment. If your hand has been raised, you can participate in public comment prior to me closing public comment. Again, this is for our 105 public hearing. You will have two minutes for public comment. Comments must remain germane or related uh, to the capital agenda, our 105 public hearing. Mr. Leonard, how many hands do we have raised for public comment for our 105 public hearing? Mr. Chair, currently we have five hands that are raised. Okay. Uh, do we have our first caller? If so, uh, please state your name for the record. Proceed. Two minutes for public comment for the 105 public hearing. Mr. Chair, the first caller is Ruth Johnson. Ms. Johnson, please proceed and state your name for the record. Ruth Johnson, Community Development Advocates of Detroit. May I be heard? You may. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. My first uh, question is around the housing and economic development category, also called neighborhood and economic development, at about 190 million. Uh, first, help me uh, understand the difference between just the regular uh, city of Detroit operating budget versus a capital agenda and what how that is differentiated, as well as understanding what community engagement took place in the development of the capital agenda, because my reading of the community outreach ordinance that there should have been community engagement. Uh, secondly, uh, as far as the budget surplus or unassigned uh, budget uh, fund of just remind me of the total amount. And I know there's going to be a discussion about the $156 million proposal by the mayor. Number three, in terms of that, I also believe there should be some uh, community engagement subject to the community outreach ordinance. Next um, is the final budget hearing is is the schedule for budget hearings final and how does that pertain to Ms. the Ms. revenue Ms. Johnson not to cut you off I appreciate you always this is just for our 105 public comment I know some of those questions are relative to procedure uh in the budget cycle uh please uh start um her clock back at 50 seconds however uh, this is just on the capital agenda and it must remain germane to that because this is a public hearing Ms. Johnson, are you still there? Yeah, I'm just waiting for the clock to be reset. Okay, thank, thank you. He's going to reset it to 50 seconds. Okay, we will give uh, 50 seconds. Ms. Johnson, uh, you can start now. 
So what I wanted to know how it tied into the capital agenda, because if you're going to line item this and then I'm just trying to figure out the timing. So that was the tie in. Um, as far as the administrative responses and Mr. Watson's PowerPoint, thank you, Mr. Watson, for showing me where to find the capital agenda. But could you also let the public know where to find other things? And if I could recommend if we could do one stop shopping and have everything on eScribe uh, as well as on the website, then the affiliated uh, entities as well as the Joe. Uh, the Greenway Partnership, the Riverfront Partnership, the Civic uh, Facility Partnership, and how are those, you know, accounted for in the capital agenda? So those are my questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Johnson. And uh, please, our presenters, note these questions that have been asked, and uh, we will take responses at the end. What do we have next, Mr. Leonard? As a chair, next caller is Ms. Karen Winston. Ms. Winston, you have two minutes for public comment for the 105 public hearing. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Yep. Hello. Thank you, Karen Winston. Um, I ditto what Ms. Uh, Ruth just said. I've asked before, can we get everything in one place? Because, you know, we look all over. A lot of times we hit dead links. You know, we have to start all over again. We should not have to search each you know, I mean, follow 20 links just to get one answer. That's one thing. Now, I'm trying to find where is our master plan of policies. I hear of it. That, that lays out, that's for the overlay of the entire city. Without the public having access to the master plan of policies and how these different uh, projects affect it, we can't, and nor can you. We can't approve these things. So we need that. Sidewalk repairs, those are historically assessments on property owners. So we need to check that. We gotta find out ownership, who, you know, who's gonna pay for these things. Streets, you got state responsibility, you got county responsibility, and you got city responsibility. So you need to learn those streets so the city residents are not paying for other entities' bills. That's another thing. Escrow funds. Escrow funds are normally associated with burnout properties. We need those to offset, and we need to show the offset from what comes from the uh, emergency demolitions due to fires or whatever. Uh, yeah, responsible entity ownership. Uh, there's another infrastructure. I heard the, um, the COO speak of infrastructure and they're not ready. You're talking all this electrical infrastructure. You need to set public lighting department proper back in service. That is your backup. That is your emergency. You need that. Look at what happened in Texas. Look at what happened in, uh, you know, when they shot out that uh, one power station. You got to have redundancy or you're going to put people, you know, in, in harm's way. So especially for the water board, we had that already. So a lot of these things you guys are bringing up, the public lighting has DC substations up and down Woodward Avenue. Give us our property back. Let us do our jobs. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Winston. Next caller, please. Next caller, Mr. Chair, is Toronto White, senior po senior policy analyst for Member Waters. Mr. White, you have two minutes for public comment. Please state your name for the record and proceed. Mr. White, uh, Mr. Leonard, maybe his hand is raised in error. So noted. So we'll move to the next caller. Next caller, please state your name for the record. You have two minutes for public comment. Proceed. Next caller is Ms. Carol, Carol Hughes. 
Ms. Hughes, you have two minutes for public comment. Good afternoon, honorable council um, and panel. Um, Chairperson, may I be heard? You may. Uh, I am calling because you, you hear a lot of the citizens asking for what they need, not what you want them to give you. Um, I'm looking at the Joe Lewis Greenway, and I'm looking at uh, it, it, we are will find out what it is once it's materialized, and it has to have security. Um, Miss um, um, Johnson from the mayor's office, with all due respect, um, we don't want to expand green light. I heard you throw that in there, but that's something that the citizens are saying they don't want to expand. And there's enough proof to show that green light is not working for us. And so that being part of your plan is not part of the resident's desire. So this is another way that we're telling you you're not doing what we want you to do. And and and, and consequences from that, our homeless population is growing. Uh, Mr. Uh, Council Member Young has proffered some solutions that would get houses up quickly. There is an, a document on today's journal uh, that suggests that we need 100,000 low-income units. The red arrow gives us three units, and we're spending lots of money buying a school using CDBG money when we should be providing what the majority of the people need instead of minority of the people. There are census that have been taken, and we need to distribute the money on the basis of who the people are, who are the majority. We make up 80% plus of the people in this population. And a lot of these dollars are federal dollars. We want our fair share of those dollars and we want you to do what we want you to do with them. Not what you want to do because these are dollars that are coming to us. And so we don't want you to tell us, you'll tell us when it's materialized. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Hughes. Next caller. Mr. Chair, Ms. Hughes was a final caller. Thank you, Mr. Leonard. So uh, to the presenters, you heard a number of questions. Uh, who would like to go first to provide some responses to the questions asked by members of the public? Um, uh, Mr. Chair, I mean, I could, I'm happy to start with some of the process-related questions that, that Ms. Johnson raised. Um, so, uh, specifically with respect to the process, uh, as I think we discussed a little bit earlier, the capital agenda, um, you know, which was proposed November 1st by, by the mayor and has gone through this uh, rigorous review process with the, the council staff and CPC, the uh, City Planning Commission, um, the, time, the remaining timeline for that is uh, through the remainder of this month, um, you know, there, there's the review this committee is doing and then the full council uh, must act on it, uh, as I understand, before March 1st. Um, but then how that relates to the budget is, again, the capital agenda, you know, is a non-binding plan separate from the budget itself. It doesn't, you know, fund these projects. It just lays out um, a list of uh, priorities and, um, and plans for how they may be funded in the future. Um, we'll certainly kick off into budget season March 3rd with the mayor's proposed budget, uh, which is about next year's budget and four-year financial plan. Again, some of the items discussed in the capital agenda are part of that budget. And then in addition, uh, later in today's agenda, the mid-year fiscal year 23 budget amendment also does include some capital spending as well. So certainly kind of three very interrelated things, um, but the capital agenda itself um, is 
following this uh, process for the remainder of the month uh, before being acted on by the city council before March 1st. In terms of the documents, yes, so the report is on the Office of Budgets website. I'm, I'm happy to post today's slides um, in the same space, um, uh, and we'll do that uh, soon Soon after this meeting. Um, you know, uh, with, for, uh, with eScribe and the agenda, I know that's usually a function of uh, items formally submitted to council uh, through the clerk. Um, so that's usually a distinction between items that may be on that page versus other pages. At a minimum, what we're certainly trying to do with Office of Budget material is corral them all into one place so that folks can easily find them on uh, DetroitMI.gov slash budget. Uh, and then on community outreach. Um, so uh, while the community outreach ordinance applies to the budget itself, and we did a community engagement back in the fall on that. Uh, and which will culminate in the final report issued with the budget uh, when the mayor delivers it on March 3rd. Uh, my understanding is it doesn't uh, apply to the capital agenda itself, which follows the charter process, which includes today's public hearing, um, as well as the uh, previous um, city planning commission meetings as well. Thank you, Mr. Watson. Uh, any responses to a couple of other questions that we had? To the chair. Ms. Davis. Yes. Um, in regards to the community engagement um, in response to the actual capital agenda, as of right now, this is the proposed capital agenda. It has not been formalized um, until upon completion. However, it is a compilation of uh, multiple different projects that different departments have had formal community engagement regarding. Um, and then those projects are then compiled and placed into the capital agenda. So there has been some form of community engagement around the projects that are associated with this document. In regards to the streets and funding for streets, uh, the, this, this um, document only contains funding for streets that are owned by the city of Detroit. Uh, state and federal highways and streets are not included in this document as we only pay for funding that are associated with our respective roads and streets and highways. Uh, in addition, there was a comment regarding escrow funds. Um, there is, uh, because of how demolition is handled in regards to escrow and uh, going after the private owners of those properties, different funding sources are used for different demolitions. And with that, we have uh, different uh, reports that break out how escrow is retrieved in regards to respective properties and how it is applied back to the respective funding sources that were utilized for the demolitions of those respective properties. Um, with that, that is associated depending on, not necessarily associated with the capital agenda. Uh, it may, as those funding dollars may be operating dollars. And so with that, it may or may not be included or associated with this actual document or process. Uh, Joe Lewis Greenway is detailed out um, in the actual document to provide specifically what it is and uh, the timeline for it to be completed, as well as the phases and the funding associated with it are um, all included in this document as well. So um, upon receipt, they can get more detail in regards to specifically uh, what it is and the timeline that we will be done with that actual project. I think that was the bulk of the questions that I had. Thank you very much, Ms. Davis. Uh, Mr. Todd, I see your hand raised. 
Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just wanted to add a couple of additional points complementing those remarks of my colleagues. As it concerns public notice, in addition to what uh, was described by Mr. Watson, we have also, as has been uh, the practice of this honorable body, made hard copies available for anyone who may come into the building. Uh, uh, in our offices at the Planning Commission, uh, hard copies also have been made available for review at the main library. And those two sources, along with the website that Mr. Watson mentioned, were included in the public notice. Additionally, uh, as it concerns the concerns raised about the community outreach ordinance, the master plan is the only planning document that is specifically named. Uh, again, as Mr. Watson and Ms. Davis indicated, uh, when it comes to particular projects, uh, the COO is essentially covering implementation. So each of those individual projects, again, as described, that would be eligible for the COO are following that independent of their inclusion um, in the uh, capital agenda itself. And then as far as access to the master plan is concerned, as the planning and development department is the steward of that document that is available at their website. And uh, we can uh, look to uh, work with them to maybe also get a corresponding link to that uh, to those pages on the City Planning Commission's page to the extent that the public may also find that helpful. But the master plan is available at the Planning and Development Department's uh, website page. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Todd. Anything further from our presenters? Okay. Uh, I do have one final question. I know we talked about sidewalks, uh, and I know what's, you know, obviously had the opportunity to review the capital agenda. Could you just touch on uh, ADA, um, you know, relative to sidewalks? What does that look like as we're thinking about sidewalks? What does that look like if we're, as we're thinking about infrastructure? Uh, you know, obviously, I chaired a disability task force. We get many questions. Uh, whether that be transportation, uh, whether that be, um, you know, um, infrastructure uh, to some of our sidewalks, some of our buildings uh, that exist, uh, and, and the ability to make them um, not just compliant, but, but provide accessibility. Can we touch on that? And, and, you know, what are some of the ideas relative to that in the capital agenda? Through the chair, Dio, can you to um, provide some assistance? Absolutely, through the chair. Um, whenever we do a road resurfacing, or as part of this budget, um, when we go into the details of it, uh, our plan is we're going to, um, before now, when we do sidewalk um, work, we generally address the sidewalks that are disturbed or upended by city streets. Like one of these caller earlier rightly said, generally sidewalk are the responsibility of the property owner. That's the position we've taken. So, but when we do a road project and we do a bunch of sidewalk there, we try to bring the sidewalk to um, ADA um, level so that it meets the criteria. As part of this project that we're going to be doing, the, the um, sidewalk um, effort that we're going to be doing, we will ensure that whenever we bring a block 
um, torrent and we repair the sidewalk there, we also bring the ADA ramp on those blocks current. So we will be only be working in terms of the ADA ramp in the blocks that we touch. We know there might be some blocks out there that will not be, but the goal is as we systematically go, we'll bring the ADA ramps to current. Thank you for providing that information. Uh, obviously in next week's discussion, uh, and we will send just a couple more questions that we have, I won't beleaguer the point today. Uh, but again, that is something that is um, on the concern of many residents here in the city of Detroit, over 130,000 who deal with disabilities every day. Uh, and I want to ensure if we're building and fixing and improving that we are bringing them to the table. So thank you so much uh, for that information. That now concludes our 105 public hearing. Uh, I will adjourn our 105 public hearing at the call of the chair. Thank you all to all the presenters. Thank you for your hard work uh, on the Capitol agenda. Look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, hopefully it will be not a very long discussion uh, because I'm sure questions are, they have already been submitted, uh, but uh, you know, based off of what has come out today, um, maybe there are a few recommendations uh, and uh, they will be able to be addressed uh, by other council members who are not members of this committee. So thank you very much. Mr. Chair. Madam Clerk. Yes. Just a clarification. What time do you want the discussion for next week? Thank you very much, Madam Clerk. Uh, we will make that a 110 discussion. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mr. Chair. Madam Parliamentarian. Perhaps I misheard you um, when you said you were going to adjourn the public hearing. I thought I heard you say to the call of the chair, and of course, I must have misheard. I, I did say to the call of the chair. So, so it's a straight out. So, pardon close. me. I will adjourn our 105 public hearing. Thank you, Dr. Powers. I will not be opening up the 105 public hearing again. Uh, next, we will move to uh, new business from the Office of Chief of the Chief Financial Officer, Office of Budget, line item 7.1, submitting a resolution of authorization for fiscal year 2022-2023, supplemental appropriations and transfers. The administration is requesting fiscal year 2022-2023 supplemental appropriations and transfers to address immediate additional needs and to implement projects during the upcoming construction season. Uh, members, we have a motion to discuss line item 7.1. Motion. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for hanging around, uh, Ms. Davis, Mr. Watson. Uh, for this discussion. Uh, I believe Mr. Watson will be leading this discussion. Uh, also uh, on standby, if needed, we have uh, Mr. Tyrone Clifton from the DBA, Crystal Perkins, and Dara O'Byrne from GSD. Uh, I don't know about DPD as of yet. Uh, we have uh, Dio Akinyemi, I hope I pronounced that right, from DPW, uh, Ms. Lawan Counts from DEMO, and Robert Lynn from DLBA. Uh, could we please queue up all of those individuals uh, just in case uh, they need to chime in? Other than that, uh, I will turn it over to you, Mr. Watson. Please let Mr. us know. Chair. Madam Clerk. I'm sorry to disrupt you. If you need one, if you need someone from the elections department, we have Gina Avery Walker. I'm not sure if you needed her. Thank you very much. And Ms. Avery, please. Uh, thank you very much for that, Madam Clerk. You're welcome.
and so Mr. Watson will be leading uh, our discussion today. Take it away, Mr. Watson. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair, and happy to be here and happy to have um, uh, a lot of my colleagues from various departments who have a, a stake in this budget amendment here today to add additional clarity and ask and uh, respond to questions that may come up. Uh, but I'll, I'll cover sort of the broad strokes of it and, and certainly can answer questions as well. Um, um, before I, I'd like to, if possible, I'd like to share my screen. And I can provide an overview of the, the main part of the budget amendment. But uh, uh, while that's being done, just to set the stage a little bit. So what we're proposing here today is a, an amendment to the fiscal year 23 budget, which is the budget that the city council approved last April uh, and, and for the fiscal year that we're currently in that ends June 30th. Um, what that budget amendment is aiming to do is to appropriate surplus general fund dollars from the from the fiscal year that ended last June. Um, we finished the year end audit and that was presented at this committee last month and it showed a substantial surplus um, and one that we were certainly tracking late last fiscal year, but then the audit finally confirmed uh, the definitive amounts as all of the books were closed. Um, you're hearing a lot of that same dialogue happening at the state level right now because uh, they're closing their books uh, by the end of March. Um, and so what that uh, audit for the city's finances showed was that last fiscal year ended with a nearly $230 million general fund surplus, which is an unprecedented level, very, very large, um, more than we've had in recent years, uh, for sure. Um, that was driven by a number of factors that I just want to go over real quickly to set the stage. So... Um, to put things in context, when we were building the fiscal year 2022 budget, um, it was the, you know, winter and even before then the fall when we started it of, uh, of 2020 and then 2021. So back when we were in the peak of the pandemic, we were all working from home. Public meetings were being conducted virtually. Um, we did the entire budget from home. Um, it was unclear um, how the rest of the pandemic's fiscal impacts were going to play out um, when we forecasted revenues through the revenue conference process that cycle. You know, we assumed the worst. We didn't think income taxes were going to recover nearly as quickly as they have. Um, the state had just launched internet gaming, which we knew would be revenue positive for us, but it was unclear when the on-site activity at the casinos would rebound or when they would even fully reopen. Um, as folks remember, during the peak of the pandemic, the casinos were closed and then restricted, and we saw a tremendous drop in revenues from wagering taxes. Um, as well as what other kind of risks uh, laid ahead on our revenue sources. And so we built a budget that year that was extremely limited by design to ensure that we would maintain a balanced budget as we navigated the, the then ongoing pandemic. Um, uh, and so we were very pleased as that year played out that revenues re were rebounding faster than we expected. Uh, by the time we closed the books on fiscal year 22, uh, our revenues had exceeded pre-pandemic levels, um, income taxes recovering tremendously, and the wagering taxes um, outpacing our you know, best expectations of what the new gaming revenue would, would hold. But to add a little context, the reason why there was about a 200 or over a $200 million surplus, you know, there was a number of factors, a number of revenue upsides, there was some underspending, but it really was driven uh, most heavily by income taxes, wagering taxes, and, rev and state revenue sharing. And so on income tax, again, you know, we we assumed the worst on what um, remote work would do to our non-resident income taxes, and it wasn't quite as uh, big of a hit in, initially as we thought, even though there is an ongoing impact now. 
on revenue sharing, we assumed um, as ultimately took place that we would take a loss on revenue sharing from the lower 2020 2020 census count. We were fortunate that last year, the state through a supplemental appropriation held communities like Detroit harmless on those reductions for just one year only. And so that uh, provided additional revenue. And then on the wagering taxes, again, the casinos, while the onsite activity of the casinos has still not fully recovered to this day, uh, the recovery happened earlier than we had been anticipating because, again, we were still pretty shocked from the time period when the casinos were closed and were uh, and we saw a dramatic revenue decrease there. Um, and so in addition to some of the recurring revenues rebounding, we also had some substantial um, one-time revenues. In income taxes, there was $30 million, a $30 million one-time pickup. Um, on the wagering taxes, again, there was a provision in the state law authorizing internet gaming that gave us a one-time $40 million from the state of Michigan to help plug some of our COVID revenue hole on, on wagering taxes. So again, really big number being over $200 million, but driven by a variety of factors, including one-time revenues, as well as a quicker rebound than we were expecting uh, back when we were still you know, um, holding back spending, delaying hiring, delaying projects and the like. Um, as folks will recall from the last budget cycle, Last year, you know, the, the story there was that revenues had recovered and we were restoring departmental budgets uh, back up to prior levels. And so a lot of that revenue upside has since been programmed into the ongoing budget. And as we were recall from even the fall, um, when council approved pay raises for police officers, we'd further started spending uh, even more of that revenue upside since. Um, but so what we're proposing here today, um, and I'll pull it up on the screen. is a, again, a budget amendment to take that nearly $230 million surplus and appropriate $156.5 million of it. And so since it's last year's surplus, it's what we would call one-time money. And you've heard a lot of that rhetoric at the state level as well, the difference between ongoing and one-time revenue sources. And to ensure fiscal stability in the future, we need to make sure that we spend uh, one-time money like prior year surplus on one-time things. Um, and so um, this proposed budget amendment doesn't utilize all $230 million of the surplus. There'll still be over $70 million that will be part of the fiscal year 24 budget proposal for next year. But we uh, are asking for this budget amendment here today because this list uh, and, and why we came up with $156.5 million is represents things that are uh, immediate needs um, or could just result in projects getting started sooner and the improvements done in the community faster than if we waited until July when the next fiscal year starts. And so the first thing on this list is $60 million for our risk management fund. And so what that is, is a fund uh, where the city uh, self-insures for all um, you know, liabilities and claims that may come due, whether it be from legal judgments and settlements, workers' compensation, and other uh, long-term liabilities. Um, over the past five years, um, the, the amount we've been budgeting going into this fund versus the spending, um, the spending has exceeded that amount. Uh, largely due to very extraordinary uh, claims that have gone through a, um, a city council review and approval process over the past few years, both uh, on indemnification as well as ultimately on those settlements. And so over the past five years, we've spent about nearly $60 million more than the recurring budget for risk management. 
And so this would restore the, the reserve that got spent down over the last five years to ensure we have enough money on hand in the near term to deal with whatever liabilities may come due between the rest of this fiscal year as well as the fiscal years ahead. The Retiree Protection Fund, $10 million. So we talked about this a little bit last week at BFA. Uh, committee. This is um, the trust fund the city set up back in 2017 to set aside surplus dollars to ensure we have enough money available to deal with the so-called pension cliff starting in uh, fiscal year 24 when we need to resume making annual contributions to the legacy pension plans that were closed and frozen during the bankruptcy. Um, another $10 million will help ensure that we have um, enough money set aside to, again, to deal with not only the gradual ramp up that we talked about last week and pension contributions, but to deal with some uncertainty around future investment performance and the funding policies at the boards, uh, at the pension boards. Um, another big chunk of this budget amendment would be $61.5 million for various capital projects. Uh, projects, And so, and I know we'll probably get into a little bit more of this in a, in a minute, um, $20.5 million is for the expanded sidewalk replacement program, which um, we've got DPW here to talk a little bit more about. But again, the the the, over, the summary version is, um, well, DPW today repairs uh, sidewalks that are damaged by city trees. Um, this would go above and beyond the city's requirements to, to do more um, on a one-time basis uh, to cover more ground repairing sidewalks across the city that otherwise wouldn't be part of the, the city's um, regular program. Uh, nearly $20 million for public transit really boils down to two things. One is um, to complete the State Fair Transit Center um, over by the, um, the new Amazon site uh, on the, off of 8 Mile. Um, we need an additional uh, $13.9 million to, to cover the expanded costs for the preservation activities associated with the project as it has developed over, um, over the, the past year or so, as well as to deal with inflationary pressures. As folks are, you know, have undoubtedly heard or experienced even in their personal lives, the costs of uh, construction projects and, and other projects like that um, have, have been ballooning over the last couple of years. And so it has uh, grown since the original estimates. Uh, there's also $6 million um, for the people mover. Uh, so what this represents is a city funded match for a federal grant. Um, the total project would be $32 million to replace four people mover rail cars. MDOT would kick in money. We're asking the Federal Transit Administration for money. The people mover themselves would kick in about $3 million, and the city would kick in $6 million. And the reason for the city providing some of this is right now, the people mover is partially subsidized by the city of Detroit. And so we're paying a share to, to help ensure that the city can secure this grant and replace those rail cars. Earlier in today's committee, during the capital agenda, we talked about you know, some of the future of the people mover and how as funding opportunities become available, we are going to make investments in it. And that's what this would represent. It's also a good example of how the capital agenda discussion, you know, flows into budget processes like this budget amendment, like the fiscal year 24 proposed budget that will come out uh, in early March, that again, it's, you know, it's laying, the capital agenda is laying out the priorities uh, for future budget actions such as this. Um, Parks and Recreation, $16 million. So this will allow GSD to move forward with their uh, kind of regularly planned through from their from their park uh, improvement plan, uh, neighborhood park improvements across all seven council districts. 
the idea here is if we appropriate it now, they can start the contracting uh, right away instead of waiting until July. And that way they can get a head start on this season's projects and get them done that much sooner for the public to enjoy. Uh, $2.4 million of public safety. This is the regularly scheduled um, bulletproof vests and body armor replacements for the police department. Um, they, in the past, they were paid for with uh, bond dollars and other um, dedicated funding sources. But right now, the general fund is the kind of only remaining bucket to, to pay for these kinds of replacements. Uh, $1.6 million for elections. This is to implement the next phase of the elections department's reliable technology, as well as some facilities and other equipment improvements, um, all working ahead towards not only a successful presidential primary election uh, about a year from now, but also uh, well in advance of the 2024 election so that we're, um, uh, we're all um, caught up on these projects before that uh, gets underway. $900,000 for fleet electrification. I want to clarify that's not going to electrify um, or make EVs or electric vehicles for the whole fleet. This is just one component project of what will be a longer term evolution. Um, uh, what this specifically represents is additional EV planning work and EV charging infrastructure at the municipal parking department as we electrify the parking enforcement fleet in the relatively near term. Uh, at the bottom of the list, $13 million for emergency demolitions and for the uh, orders to demolish that go through the dangerous buildings process. Uh, as we touched on earlier in today's committee, this $13 million is needed um, to address the you know, private structures and private homes that otherwise don't have their own funding source, like the prop end bonds that are for land bank homes or the ARPA funds appropriated for commercial and industrial blight. Um, right now, um, the emergency demolition budget that was approved for the current fiscal year, um, we're down to about $2 million with um, still several months to go this year. Um, and so as Director Counts will be able to speak to um, later if there are questions, um, this will allow her to continue uh, the pace of the work she's doing in this space, as well as to deal with emergencies as they occur and not be sort of looking for um, uh, looking, trying to trying to get dollars uh, later, or trying to rush a budget amendment later uh, when the need occurs. Um, we expect um, this thirteen million dollars to cover uh, the needs remaining through the rest of the fiscal year, as well as to let her move ahead on contracting for needs that may spill over into the next fiscal year. Um, we're also proposing a $5 million dangerous tree removal program. So today, the city deals with dangerous trees that are in the public right-of-way. Um, but what we don't do, and this is kind of a, analogous to the sidewalk program, we don't um, have funding um, available today to deal with uh, dangerous trees that are on private property and might be endangering uh, you know, uh, uh, the neighborhood generally or an adjacent homeowner. Uh, and, so the G and so the General Services Department is going to do a project uh, with this $5 million to, to tackle those needs over the next, uh, the next year and wants to get started as soon as possible. Because again, um, similar to the emergency demolitions, these are urgent needs and not something we'd want anyone to wait any longer than they than they need to. Uh, the Land Bank Authority, Citywide Blight Survey, um, they'll be able to speak more to this, but right now our data around uh, blighted property citywide is pretty stale. Um, uh, and so this will, the survey, um, which literally is, is the Land Bank, um, you know, uh, covering ground across the whole city, 
to, to make sure we've got everything, up, all the documentation on blighted properties updated, but as well, but, but richer data that allows um, for recommendations around what's the best way to address those blighted properties. Because as we know, it's not a one size fits all approach to, to all blighted properties. Some will be rehabbed, some may be demolished, some may be sold. Um, there, there's a variety of options depending on the condition of the, uh, of the property. Lastly, $5 million for COVID-19 response. So back when the pandemic started, um, the city cobbled together a lot of surplus to, to um, have upfront money to deal with pandemic response, whether it was vaccination and testing, um, um, boots on the ground uh, uh, I mean, from the public health department, et cetera. Um, and that gave us a lot of runway. And since then, we've received a lot of state and federal grants to pay for these activities as well. Um, as well as um, we've been applying for FEMA reimbursements for emer eligible emergency work. Uh, but now that we're nearing uh, what will hopefully be the, the final tail of the pandemic, um, we do need to front some additional general fund dollars uh, to cover ongoing costs, which have been, as folks, you know, I'm sure are undoubtedly aware, have diminished in scope. Obviously, we're not running a, a large-scale vaccination site at Huntington Place anymore, but obviously the public health department is continuing to do vaccinations and testing um, and other uh, responsive work. And so while we'll continue to seek whatever grants may be available, those resources have begun to dry up as the pandemic has begun to move on. And we need to make sure that between now and the end of the next fiscal year, we have enough funding so that the public health can um, have a orderly wind down and sort of consolidation of this activity into their ordinary public health services. We do expect, of course, you know, as everyone hears that, you know, um, COVID is not something that's just going to abruptly go away, but um, over time, the responsive activities will begin to be normalized. Um, the, so the main thrust of the budget amendment is appropriating the 156.5, but I don't want to overly gloss over. Um, and for the public's benefit, this resolution is on, um, on eScribe. Uh, for, uh, for, for everyone to read. Um, in addition, what this budget amendment does is it appropriates $19.4 million of current year revenues in excess of the budget from the September revenue conference. And it's really to go towards a number of um, uh, additional operating needs this year. So the fire department, similar to what happened last year, um, uh, needs additional resources as they continue to tra uh, transition to their merged role operation, where they've, they're now combining firefighting and EMS activities, where all their staff will be certified and cross-trained in, in both uh, areas of work. Um, Due to staff vacancies, as well as the kind of lengthy rollout of that transition, um, the fire department has been spending more on overtime than what we had budgeted. So there's going to be an additional need there this year. The elections department um, 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 in the, and for the 2022 midterm election uh, had an additional need for poll workers, uh, which is about a million dollars. And so um, this will be dealing with that uh, um, emerging shortfall that would otherwise occur by year end. Uh, this current fiscal year. And then lastly, $300,000 for the public lighting department. Not a huge dollar amount, but very significant to them in the context of their budget, which is relatively small and doesn't have a lot of flexibility. It mainly is due to um, the PLD. They still pay the utility bills for the city streetlights, even though those streetlights are otherwise set up and maintained by the public lighting authority. And utility rates have gone up. I mean, this is something I'm sure people have experienced in their um, personal lives as well. Um, utility bills are higher. 
um, over the past year um, and going forward than they were before. And so this is kind of catching up with some of our city operating expenses as well. And then lastly, um, there's some miscellaneous items, very, very kind of technical housekeeping. There is a an additional $138,000 of old convention center bonds that are that can be used for Hart Plaza improvements. We had already spent 1.4 million of these proceeds. There's 138,000 left that just hasn't been authorized for expenditure yet by council. And that's what we're asking for today. Um, we uh, have a surplus in GSD recreation because of facilities that have been under renovation and thus not full, fully operational. Um, that will help us cover vehicle leases in GSD's budget that used to be covered by capital funding. Um, and then lastly, a very technical correction to a uh, Homeland Security grant in the budget that council approved last spring. We made a mistake and just had the wrong appropriation code. And so in a very technical way, it's, it's exactly for all the same purposes. It just needs to be cleaned up. And that's what we're asking for authority to do. And that covers everything that's in the budget amendment. Um, happy to take questions from the committee. And as I noted, I have um, some uh, um, some friendly support from my colleagues here uh, to, from the departments to help deal with um, any programmatic questions or other details uh, that you may be um, asking about. Thank you very much, Mr. Watson. Uh, I will start just very quickly. Um, I, I know one of the hottest subjects is dealing with uh, demolition. Uh, and as outlined in uh, the report that is given, um, the proposed 13 million is for the backfield. Um, so I, and I can remember during last budget season, uh, during council's closing resolutions, we kind of took a lot of money from demolition to fill other needs uh, and priorities of council members um, or other priorities that council members had. I know I, I probably made one of those requests uh, as well. Uh, so can we just touch a little bit uh, deeper into this uh, relative to proposal and bond funds? Because I know sometimes there is some discrepancy that exists. The proposal and bond funds are used for land bank homes and general fund dollars relative to demolition are used for dangerous buildings that need to be demolished, correct? Uh, yes, Mr. Chair, that is correct. Okay, so wanna just clarify that for the public and our ARPA funds are only, our ARPA funds are used for commercial. Uh, yes, that is correct. Okay, uh, so uh, I'm glad to see that we've got $10 million going to the Retiree Protection Fund. I know that is something that we spoke about uh, last week. Uh, and that we have requested some more information from LPD as well as law uh, to the Retiree Protection Fund, which we'll bring back up uh, once they do their extensive, wonderful research. We appreciate them both uh, for that, but it's good to see that we are putting money into that fund. Uh, when we talk about $10 million, um, you know, why $10 million? Why not more? Um, does that, where does that put us? Uh, is that, you know, um, uh, similar to contributions that have been put in during the past. I know we generally may put a little bit more during budget season into the retiree protection fund, but how do we come up with $10 million, uh, for this um, appropriation? Uh, yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so the idea for $10 million was, and to put it in context, um, as you noted, so the current budget before this amendment 
um, included a $90 million deposit into the retiree protection fund. So last time that budget, when we did the budget uh, back in the spring of last year, um, the budget was approved with a $90 million deposit. Um, this additional $10 million would bring it to a full 100. Um, and if approved, would bring the total amount of funding in the retiree protection fund by the end of this fiscal year and before that fiscal 24 pension cliff comes online to over $473 million. And so why we picked $10 million was um, because the late, as we talked about last week as well, the latest actuarial reports from the pension systems were more favorable this year than we were expecting a year ago. Um, and so um, there wasn't really the need for more than $10 million at this time. Uh, and as we laid out in last week's presentation, you know, under a 30 year amortization to repay the pension uh, obligations, um, this additional $10 million will give us a very smooth ramp up over many budgets to come. Um, if it is a shorter 20 year amortization, it would be a bit steeper. Um, but this $10 million additional on top of everything else we've built up uh, together over the years will ensure a very smooth transition, um, both in the next year's budget as well as the next four-year financial plan as we work through issues like uh, investment performance at the pension plans, as well as the open issue of the um, how long we have to pay back the pension obligations, whether it's 30 or 20 years. Uh, again, so $10 million because we had already put in $90 million in the current budget, uh, but we recognized that um, kind of every little bit more will help um, and this is a major issue for the city looking forward and our, and, and our budget. Um, it's going to be, a, as I think I said last week, you know, whether it's 20 years or 30 year repayment, it's going to be with us for many, many, many budgets to come um, and will be a major component of the city's general fund budget um, for the foreseeable future. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, one more question that I have before I turn it back over to uh, members. Uh, again, I know we uh, talked a little bit in the capital agenda uh, about sidewalks. We talked about public transit. Um, I, I do want to take a, just a, a deeper dive. I, I believe we have DBLA online uh, into the citywide blight survey. We're looking at $2 million. Can we touch a little bit deeper uh, into that? Um, uh, yes, Mr. Chair, I'd be happy to hand it off to Mr. Uh, Robert Lynn to, uh, from the Land Bank Authority to talk about the blight survey, and then we can certainly uh, promote others to speak to some of the other areas, whether it be sidewalks or, um, or transit as needed. Yes, uh, thank you uh, so much. Uh, to the Chair, uh, this is uh, uh, Robbie Lynn. Uh, I'm the Director of Planning at the Land Bank. Um, this is a allocation to fund a uh, approximately two and a half year effort to create a, um, a, a, a accurate and comprehensive and ongoing picture of all of the vacant and abandoned properties in the city. We've been in conversation with colleagues from the building department, demolition department, uh, IT department, um, uh, as well as other uh, teams across the city. And one of the challenges I think we all face is that um, we don't have a uh, accurate and uniform sort of understanding of all the properties that are out there. Um, and so to uh, Councilmember Young's point earlier about, you know, understanding how far we have to go to get to a blight-free city, our goal is to do an ongoing, a continuous drive of the city over the next uh, several years so that 
we're able to identify all the properties that need intervention, whether that's code enforcement, DLBA nuisance abatement, uh, or a, a BC to ODM order, um, as well as any other um, intervention. And so our idea is to marry this survey data with an ongoing um, a community engagement effort so that we can work with block clubs, uh, uh, CDOs, uh, council offices, and residents across the city to kind of understand properties that may not necessarily be um, apparent from the street, but are in fact, you know, vacant and problematic. Um, and then try to refer each and every one of these properties to uh, one of the uh, uh, you know various teams working to address uh, problem properties across the city. Um, and I think this will both allow us to operate all of these programs much more quickly, but it'll also serve as a accountability measure. And it'll also, I think, give us a more um, equitable lens into the problems that exist across the city. Right now, much of our data is driven by resident concerns, and we don't get um, uh, uh, as many concerns voiced by the areas that oftentimes need the most um, uh, 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 help from the land bank and other teams at the uh, a city. Thank you very much. Uh, I will turn it over to members. Uh, I know they have a number of questions. Chair uh, recognizes Member Santiago Romero, then Member Vice Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Yes, I do have a number of questions. I will try to go through them briefly. I'm going to pick up where you left off regarding the survey for the land bank. Um, while I understand the idea of the survey, I'm wondering why we don't already know the state of our land bank homes or um, I guess what information am I missing? Because I, I, I would figure that we're tracking the properties, we know where they're at, we know the state of them. So what are you trying to accomplish or yield um, from this? Thank you so much. That's really a wonderful question. So um, through the chair, um, this survey is really targeted not at land bank owned properties, but at privately owned blighted and vacant properties. As the land bank has made progress in selling and demolishing all of our problematic properties, uh, we're keenly aware that many of the most problematic properties uh, out there at this point are not owned by the city or the land bank. And so our goal is to better understand the universe of privately owned blight. Thank you. That's very helpful. And if that was already shared, I apologize, but thank you for the clarity. Um, and I just need to note from, from my residents that there are a lot of land bank homes that um, they would argue are um, have been standing there for years that need to be demolished or uh, repaired or taken care of. So um, we still have a lot of work to do on, on that sense as well. Um, my next question is regarding the COVID response funding. Um, I guess I'm just a little bit confused. Um, I know that we still have some ARPA funding that has not been assigned to some buckets, not a lot of it, but we have some. Um, and I'm wondering why we're not using ARPA to uh, finance our COVID response. Uh, through the chair to member Santiago Romero. Um, so a couple of reasons. So one, um, you know, if we use ARPA dollars, since those are grant dollars, um, it it prevents us from potentially using other grant sources or seeking FEMA reimbursement for, the, for that spending. Whereas if we use general fund, we can. And so that was one of the main rationales, as well as just the fact that, of course, the general fund is going to be more flexible than, than ARPA funding as we continue to navigate the rest of the response. But the, the key issue is by spending general fund dollars instead of ARPA dollars, we can potentially get the money back, so to speak, from um, other state and federal sources like FEMA reimbursements, um, whereas if we used ARPA, we could not. Understood. 
through the chair, I just want to add, and those dollars can be reallocated for a different program. So with that, that'll give us future use of different dollars. Correct. Thank you. Um, through the chair, um, to whoever can answer the question regarding elections. And again, I apologize if we've already got into, into depth with these. There's a lot that we're discussing today. Um, but regarding elections, um, what is it exactly that we are going to be uh, providing? I remember last year we did approve a reappropriation to the elections department for um, a deficit that they had then. So I'm wondering now, are we appropriately budgeting for our elections departments moving forward? Uh, through the chair to member Santiago Romero, and certainly um, uh, if the if the committee staff would like to or can promote um, the elections director, Ms. Uh, Avery Walker, uh, I'm sure she'd like to chime in as well. But from my perspective, just very briefly, uh, so on the operating side, um, yeah, so we, we've been steadily building up the elections department's budget over, over the past several years, and we've definitely been learning a lot along the way in terms of what the need is in a one, um, as the 2018 uh, ballot initiative was passed that um, added absentee, uh, no reason absentee balloting and the like. Um, and we're going to have a lot of work to do with the elections department over the next year planning for the financial impact of the initiative that uh, passed uh, this past fall, which further expanded things, but also had state funding components attached to it as well. So there'll be a lot to unpack on what the net impact on the city is. Um, but one of the challenges we've had over the last several years, and I know the elections department can speak to it more, is, you know, how much funding is needed, not just to, you know, address the expansion of absentee balloting, but, you know, the last couple of election cycles were still during a pandemic. And so there was both a new recurring cost component, as well as an extraordinary expense that may not reoccur at its full extent in the future. And so that's why last year and this year, we had these additional supplementals to sort of true up to what the final need was because there were some of those unknowns or just some of those risks that that played out a little bit differently than we expected when we finalized the budget. And, and I see the elections departments up, um, so you know, certainly happy to hand the reins over to them to speak uh, further about the additional funding, not just from an operations standpoint for elections, but if um, if you all wanted to comment on the capital funding for ReliaVote and um, the elections facilities. Hi, Ms. Avery. Please teach, state your name for the record and proceed. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, um, Gina Avery Walker. After the chair, I'm going to go ahead and let Chris Maduka go ahead to start off. All right, uh, Chris Maduka, manager for the Department of Election. Now, as far as the operating costs, as uh, Steve Watson, the budget director, alluded to, we've had a variety of changes over the years, not just stemming back to 2018 as far as no reason absentee voting, but even some new proposals that were recently passed this election. Now, a lot of the costs and the issues that we've had to deal with as a result of the pandemic have uh, cost uh, expenses to rise, particularly those surrounding absentee voting. And we've had some other issues that we've had to deal with as far as recruitment of poll worker and security challenges. Now, as everyone's uh, aware, we know 2020 wasn't exactly um, an easy election to deal with. And we know that there's been a lot of misinformation and a lot of scrutiny surrounding the election. And as a result, we've had higher expenses, particularly as it relates to security costs, because a lot of the threats and uh, whatnot that election workers have been getting 
uh, not just within our department, but nationwide. So we've had some supplemental costs that we've had to deal with as far as securing our polling locations and making sure that the workers feel safe, as well as securing our drop boxes. Um, as far as additional expenses that we've had to contend with, they also surround dealing and with and recruiting poll workers. Now, because of the pandemic, uh, as well as the election security threats that many people have had to deal with, as well as inflationary pressures, we've had to spend more money to entice poll workers to not only join our ranks, but to retain them. So in order to entice them, we've had to up our pay. So that in large part has um, resulted in the additional costs, but like I said, security costs as well expanding absentee voting to contend with the pandemic and mitigate the spread of the virus. So these are just a number of issues that we've had to deal with. And um, there are also some contractual costs that we've had to now bear the burden uh, of dealing with. Uh, one in particular that comes to mind is for our voting equipment. We had a 10-year state contract, or we have a 10-year state contract with Dominion Voting that started in 2017. But after five years into the contract, it became the department's responsibility to pay for the maintenance and upkeep of the um, voting equipment to the tune of roughly $325,000 a year. So these costs, uh, coupled with the security costs, coupled with the need to entice and retain quality poll workers, uh, has created uh, pressures as far as our budget that we're trying to contend with, and we've made those requests in our uh, FY24 budget. Okay. Understood, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. This is very helpful to get a full understanding of what the needs are of the departments. Uh, Mr. Chair, just two more brief questions, um, if I may. Uh, through you uh, to whoever can answer this question regarding transits, um, happy to hear that we know there are needs of our workers and some of us are raising um, their their pay or offering incentives. Um, I know that we have here funding for transit for fleets, uh, um, updates to our fleets, um, but I'm wondering um, if there is an opportunity or, or why we're not looking at one-time spending for driver incentives um, or for the need to maintain bus stops and warming shelters, so those one-time um, investments that we can be making um, uh, for ridership experience as well. Uh, through the chair to member Santiago Romero. So um, in terms of uh, driver pay, um, we, we have the ARPA transit grant, which is supporting the, um, the additional bonus pay that council approved last June. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, ongoing currently. Um, in terms of kind of future compensation, you know, that would be sort of more the province of the fiscal year 2024 budget proposal and the ongoing budget. Um, and then in terms of um, bus shelters and the like, um, I know as Director Oglesby has uh, presented before council in the past as well, there are many projects underway in that space um, using um, grant dollars that the city has for that purpose as well. And so I guess the main distinction here was this budget amendment is addressing things that you know don't otherwise have a funding source in terms of the public transit space. There's dedicated DDOT dollars that, um, that are going towards a number of those needs. Um, and the public transit one here is, 
in terms of the people mover match, that has to be general fund because um, it's matching grant funds. And when you match grant funds, you have to use like true local funds. And then on the state fair transit center, um, these are um, this project was has been supported by a combination of general fund dollars as well as bond dollars, but it's not um, otherwise um, there's no not otherwise grant funding available for specifically state fair transit center. Um, and so that was sort of the distinction here is this was trying to deal with gaps where general fund was the only recourse versus the other needs that that you mentioned um, that are otherwise being addressed with um, dedicated funding that's already part of DDOT's funding stream. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. My last question through you, Mr. Chair, um, is really more of a note because uh, I remember last year a couple of us asked to use surplus money for priorities that council had, um, and we were told no, we were told um, essentially to, to hold off. Um, and I guess I'm wondering, will, when will we know of a potential surplus for our next budget? Um, and if we can be told when that is to be a part of this process sooner rather than later, so that we are able to have some more deliberations on the front end, mm -hmm. ask these questions and share um, the priorities that we have as well. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and and yes, I mean, as uh, I think we discussed earlier, um, we all know that budget season is upon us. And um, I look forward to the conversations we're going to have as part of that process, both in terms of the ongoing budget, as well as, um, as noted at the top, this budget amendment, while it's addressing uh, sort of emergent and immediate needs and things that can get started right away, um, there's still surplus dollars available for discussion during the budget process, um, well over $70 million, as well as, of course, the entire ongoing budget, which is a general, from a general fund standpoint, is a over $1 billion budget. So um, definitely look forward to that dialogue as we enter budget season starting March 3rd. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Member Santiago Romero. Chair recognizes Vice Chair Young. Thank you so much, Mr. Chair. Uh, good to see you again, Ms. Watson, everybody. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, this is $901,000 for fleet electrification. From my understanding, there are over 155 charging centers in Detroit. I think it's 23.1 per 100,000 people. So I just want to know, since this is going to infrastructure, do we do we have that number broken down to how many more electric charging stations would be provided with this money? And then secondly, are those stations going to be open to the public? Uh, so through the chair to member Young, um, you know, so specifically this money and, and understood nine hundred one thousand dollars isn't a very large number. This right. is uh, specific to charging infrastructure for the municipal parking department. So very okay. limited in scope. Um, separate from this, of course, are efforts already underway around, you know, um, how are we going to electrify the DDOT fleet over time and deal with that charging infrastructure, which would be supported by uh, DDOT grant funding, um, some of which is, or much of which I should say, is also discussed as part of the capital agenda that we discussed earlier today, and it's included there. Um, in terms of public access charging infrastructure, admittedly, uh, I'm not certainly as close to that. Um, my understanding is there's a lot of money being either spent today or contemplated at both the state and federal level to um, improve public access charging infrastructure statewide. Um, and that's certainly something that I would look to um, kind of our um, higher levels of government at the state and federal level to cer certainly support the city in those kinds of endeavors. 
uh, but would certainly have to defer to the internal experts. I'm not sure if we have anyone specific on the call today um, to speak to citywide charging station infrastructure. Through the chair, um, we would definitely have to address that question to our director of mobility, Mr. Tim Slusser, and he can provide more information in regards to that if you want to provide. Okay. I mean, if, if, if Mr. Chair, I mean, if the chief is available, I'll, I'll, it's, uh, oh, oh, you're saying you want me to surprise. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Never mind. I misheard you. I'm like, oh, is he here? Oh, bring on the chief then. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, secondly, I wanted to ask, I heard you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said it was about $70 million, Mr. Watson, that you said you're not going to be using with this surplus, or was it $60 million? I forgot the exact number, but somewhere within that mark. I just want to know, what was the plan you were going to do with that extra money you weren't going to spend on this? So through the chair to member Young, um, so so certainly not that there won't be a recommendation for it. Um, uh, so it would be part of the mayor's proposed fiscal year 24 okay. budget, which will then be submitted to council March 3rd for the council's deliberations and, and, and discussion with the administration about priorities for the budget. Um, and so as we've always done and we talked about um, last year as well, you know, those those uh, funds would be recommended for various one-time purposes like future capital needs, um, other sort of one-time contributions. Um, but, but certainly the goal with this budget amendment is to uh, accelerate those activities that can get started now, which then does take some pressure off the 2024 budget and opens up additional sort of options and possibilities about how that surplus funding could be spent. Uh, again, there'll, you know, there'll be a forthcoming recommendation as part of the mayor's budget about how to utilize those resources. Um, but certainly it will go through the regular, you know, uh, budget hearing and council deliberation process over between, I guess, March 3rd and mid-April about um, the final uh, approved budget and, and the use of those funds. Okay. And then I just want to ask my final question involving, um, <clears throat> involving the people mover. Um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask when we're when we're when we're doing when we're doing this. One, I want to know is this something that you plan on spending um, one time in terms of fixing up the infrastructure? Is this part of just something that you spend on planning on spending this one time and then leaving it alone, or is this something that you're fixing up because there's a long-term transit plan? I know some of this has to do with state in terms of being able or regionally being in terms of able. I know the last time there was a tax that was supposed to pass, but it didn't, involving bus rapid transit. And I understand there's a connection between the people mover and M1 rail and bus rapid transit. And so I just wanted to know, when you're investing in these types of things, this infrastructure, is this just for that alone, or is this also because it's part of that long-term plan of fixing these things up so you can have that kind of intermodal transportation between the um but you know between the city and the state you know and are we reaching out to simcog in terms of being able to have that plan ready uh, so through the chair to member young um so certainly this general fund budget amendment is very limited in scope um especially with respect to the people mover and the six million dollar city contribution to the local match for rail car replacements um as we discussed earlier uh, in the context of the capital agenda you know the the kind of future uh, developments around not only the people mover, but connectivity with other transit um, uh, operations, you know, is, is part of ongoing planning activities and certainly would have to defer to the departments closer to that. But, um, but I, I think as we mentioned earlier in today's committee, you know, 
larger developments around that infrastructure and how it might evolve in the future is definitely going to have to rely on um, funding uh, coming from the state and federal government to help support it. Doesn't mean the city won't have a stake in, in how and how we fund that, but um, but the kind of dollars that would be necessary to do that kind of work um, will definitely need um, additional support. And I know um, you know uh, improving public transit in the city is you know certainly a priority of the administration and the city as a whole. Um, and that's why, as we make these plans, it, it enables us to then um, go out and make the kind of best use case possible for uh, additional grants to come to the city for those purposes. Okay. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Member Vice Chair. Uh, finally, um, again, uh, before I go to LPD, because I know they submitted a number of questions uh, as well relative to the supplemental, um, I just want to articulate kind of the idea again going behind this supplemental is that there are going to be some priorities that may want to get done in the budget and we want to no pun intended jumpstart those priorities um, so it relieves some pressure on the next fiscal year's budget so other priorities can be reflected and and then obviously down the road looking further ahead um, for other fiscal years is, is uh Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yes, Mr. Chair. Yes, that's correct. And and I know Member Young can attest to this because we're very familiar with supplementals, <laughs> particularly uh, on the state level and legislative transfers uh, or just transfers as they're referred to here. Um, so uh, part of the recommendation, just so we're clear, uh, so there is no lapse in GF funding uh, is to kind of keep in mind that this surplus is generally or recommended to be used for one-time, uh, you know, one-time things, uh, projects, programs, whatever the case may be, not programs, but projects, one-time projects, because that money uh, is a surplus and will not be available in the general fund to be able to, you know, fund something that may be needed to be reoccurring, Correct. Uh, yes, Mr. Chair, that's correct. Um, it's a one-time surplus uh, needs to be matched with one-time spending. Uh, and, and as noted earlier at the top, uh, the, the surplus from the last fiscal year was the result of a, kind of a few extraordinary things, both one-time revenues that themselves don't reoccur, um, a quicker recovery in revenues than we had been anticipating back when, you know, during the peak of the pandemic when we built the budget. Uh, and and again, uh, and the components of those revenues that are reoccurring, they've since been baked into the budgets we've approved since uh, that year was struck. So whether it was last year's budget cycle, some of the amendments we've already done this year. Um, so it truly is, um, you know, a one time resource, this two hundred thirty million dollars. Uh, that we're talking about here today. Um, you know, certainly I'm hopeful that every year will end with some amount of a surplus because it certainly gives us flexibility to do these kinds of things. But um, I, I definitely do not expect to see something on the level that uh, of this $230 million from the last fiscal year. Because as, as I, I know, um, council is aware because of the, the many items that have come before them, uh, is uh, there, there's been a number of spending increases uh, because we now have the means to sustain them that have been approved by um, by this body. And again, like including whether it was the police officer pay raises last fall, um, some of the kind of service enhancements we've we've done, even some of the um, well, even our ARPA spending has been. Um, for one-time projects in and of themselves, those one-time projects sometimes throw um, an ongoing expense, at, even if, however, more modest. Like, for instance, 
you know, we're building some and, and improving some expanded recreation centers with ARPA dollars in uh, next year's budget and future budgets, we need to incorporate the operating expense of those things. And so certainly, you know, those projects are incredibly important to do, but we always have to be very mindful about what kind of future pressure we're putting on the budget to ensure we can sustain it. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Mr. Watson. And uh, again, uh, you mentioned the one-time funding, uh, obviously based off of us having the ability to collect some income tax revenue that was, as you put, extraordinary. Um, and I know we just had our revenue estimating conference, uh, so we can dive deeper and that is not going to take today. We've already been here quite a while. Uh, but uh, hopefully we are looking um, to, one, increase revenues, uh, but, you know, the forecast is a little bit different. So... Uh, obviously being careful in the spending, particularly because of the obligation that we got coming in 2024 will be uh, important. Uh, and with that, I, I also hope uh, that and, and urge uh, the administration, OCFO, uh, to reach out to other council members in advance uh, for some of their priorities. I know uh, oftentimes we're here uh, late at night to 10, 11 p.m., uh, uh, dealing with closing resolutions, uh, but it's important to, to limit those closing resolutions if we can have those discussions prior uh, to the budget being presented. Uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Mr. Corley uh, to chime in. I know LPD has submitted a number of questions. Mr. Corley. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So um, in general, we are um, supportive of the responses to our questions. The main one, though, is the response to the risk management fund appropriation of $60 million, which obviously is a large part of this proposed budget amendment. If there were any room uh, where council wanted to uh, put money into their priorities from this budget amendment, it would be from that pot. Um, you know, we asked for a five-year um, um, outlook on how much money has been spent on risk management issues, and uh, as Mr. Watson indicated, you know, on average it's been about $40, 50000000 million, although we, we budget only about $24 million, which indicates that we're under, under budgeting in that particular program. Um, and so with that, if we know that we need to budget more, then the administration would need to propose putting more money you know, at least beyond the 24 million that's on average been budgeted for risk management, put more money into the upcoming proposed um, 2024 budget. Um, and if they did that, you may be able to uh, reduce the 60 million, say by 10 million. If council had immediate uh, needs or priorities, um, because you know, as, as was indicated, and I think you alluded to it, um, um, Mr. Chair, we normally get these um, budget amendments or we, we normally get the uh, ability to appropriate the surpluses during the budget process. Um, and so this is somewhat unusual, although I understand what the goal is, is to, like you say, jumpstart, you know, some of the programs that they want to do, you know, early start um, because of constru construction season, all of that. I, I get that. So I, I, all I'm saying is that this is your one time, basically, to put your stamp on how you want to address your priorities. 
And so, again, if you were, if you had any burning priorities up to $10 million, if your colleagues, you know, as a whole, council as a whole, had priorities that amounted to, you know, say $10 million, I suggest that you could do that. So. Thank you, Mr. Courtney. Just to clarify, uh, you were talking about the, the $60 million line item uh, dealing uh, with risk management. Yes. Clarifying, you're saying that uh, if there were priorities that council had, because, and at first I know I'm not going to make any amendments or uh, suggestions for amendments today that still has to become uh, come before the table, if passed, uh, or, well, it will still come before the table. I've still got that lancing in me. It still has to come uh, before the table uh, and has the ability to be, to be amended at that point. Uh, but you're saying that if anything uh, could prov prov uh, provide some type of level of funding, that what your recommendation would be risk management. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and you say up to about $10 million. About $10 million. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Corley. I don't know, Mr. Short, my happy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pardon me. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'm looking at the capital section, and as we are going through a review of the uh, capital agenda, again, most of these projects are really ongoing projects um, that could be placed in the 24 budget um, that gives you time to review and re reflect on these projects. Again, our capital agenda was submitted on November the 1st, and uh, we're now looking mid-year, two months later, at uh, funding some of these projects, and they weren't, some of them were not included in the capital agenda. I know the plans uh, may be fluid, but that, that time frame is just so short that we, we believe, again, these are, most of these are not new projects, but uh, should be accounted for in our planning process. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so I appreciate that response from LPD. We have the document as well with the responses from the questions. Uh, and so, uh, members, uh, next I will ask for a motion to send line item 7.1 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Motion. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.1 will be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Thank you, LPD. Thank you, Mr. Watson and Ms. Davis. You've hung out with us all day. Appreciate you. <laughs> Uh, next, we will move to line item 7.2 from the Legislative Policy Division, submitting a report and proposed ordinance to amend Chapter 40 of the 2019 Detroit City Code sales by adding Article 3, acceptance of cash by retail and food service businesses, Section 40-3-1, definitions and adding Section 40-3-2, cashless retail prohibition requirements, to provide for the health, safety, and general welfare of the public. This is on the agenda as a report under LPD uh, and would require action to send to formal for an introduction and setting of a public hearing. Uh, and so uh, we have... Edward King from Mr. King, oh, are you going to go over Mr. King today? Just okay. very briefly, sir. Okay, so we have Mr. King speaking to this. Again, I know this is an ordinance... Uh, and this, the author is uh, Member Callaway, um, 
And so I will let you take it away, Mr. King. I do have a motion to open up line item 7.2 with discussion. I felt the parliamentarian. Motion. Okay. Uh, Mr. King. Mr. Chair, uh, this is an ordinance that would prohibit food service and retail establishments from refusing to accept cash as a form of payment, from posting signs on the premises that cash is not accepted, and from charging a higher price for persons who use cash versus another form of payment. And, and we would like to request that this be referred to the law department for approval as to form and also placement within the code. Thank you very much, Mr. King. Uh, just to discuss really briefly, uh, we had a, a opportunity to review this ordinance as well from our office, uh, and I know we're going to send to law. They will also weigh in on this. But from my understanding, and just a, a preliminary question, uh, that is a federal law that you have to accept cash at any establishment right now, uh, from my understanding. Is that correct? Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Uh, from my understanding, federally, you have to accept cash. Uh, cash is a tender <laughs> in the United States of America that is utilized and printed uh, for trade and commerce. And from my understanding, I, I do not believe you can prohibit, although I'm not stating that, and, and I think the author of this uh, ordinance has a very, very good point because I've seen it happen. Uh, but from my understanding, you, that, that's not supposed to happen already, correct? Uh, no, Ms. Mr. Chair, um, there is not a federal law that directly prohibits the prohibition of cash in an establishment. So now states and municipalities are enacting their own laws. Thank you. And I guess we will get further details relative to what mi the Michigan Constitution states uh, relative to that as well. Uh, so, uh, members, uh, do I have a motion to uh, refer line item 7.2 to the law department? For Discussion. Oh, pardon me. Pardon me. Chair recognizes member Santiago Romero. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just a few quick questions. Um, through you uh, to LPD, um, do other cities have laws like these in the books? And a follow-up question is, uh, was there any unintended consequences that you see or that you um, may have found in your research um, by implementing something like this? Uh, I'll, I'll answer the second question first. No, I haven't seen any unintended consequences. Uh, laws have been passed in the city of New York, okay. state of New Jersey, city of San Francisco, and uh, Philadelphia. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Member Santiago Romero. Chair recognizes Vice Chair Young. Yes, thank you. Mr. King, good to see you, sir. Always a pleasure. Good to see uh, you. How many cashless businesses do we have in Detroit? Well, I don't have that information. Okay. But I will, I will go on to say that during the pandemic, a lot of businesses started using just credit cards and debit cards. And why was that? Do you know? Well, it's two reasons that I've seen. It's, it's more efficient. Some business owners find it more efficient to run their business without cash. Okay. It's, they say it's safer, and it also prevents the 
um, the counting of cash drawers at the end of the day. So if you find an a ice cream shop in the middle of Manhattan, that might work with that uh, criteria of a customer that they have. However, it becomes discriminatory in places like Detroit. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Vice Chair Young. And, and I, again, I uh, applaud the uh, author uh, of this ordinance for that. To your point, Mr. King, I think that was generally a concern uh, for individuals who don't bank, uh, who don't have debit cards, who don't have access to those cards. Uh, they will not be allowed, I guess, based upon, uh, and again, we've got to get a ruling from law where we are constitutionally on the state level. And even if we can't, uh, I would ask for a motion uh, to examine uh, this federally as well, because uh, some research that I have kind of pulled up kind of speaks to the exchange of cash and tender um, for establishments. Uh, so uh, can I, add, I'm sorry, pardon me. Uh, do I have to ask for a motion or do I, is there a motion so we can get a ruling on that from law? Mr. Chair, you always have the option of saying, without objection, we will do that. And that's unanimous consent, and that would be, but if someone objects, then you'd have to get a motion. So. Thank, thank you, Madam Parliamentary. I know that I try not to be a czar uh, and include members of the committee, but without objection, I will ask that uh, we have an opinion for law uh, relative to uh, what is on the books federally. Uh, regarding the exchange of cash and limiting and prohibiting cash at establishments, uh, all establishments, not just the ones named specifically in this ordinance. Chair recognizes Vice Chair Young. Thank you. I'd like to make a motion uh, when it's appropriate. I'd also like to ask, you know, just a motion for a primer on how many cashless businesses we have in Detroit and how many people are underbanked uh, or unbanked, excuse me, in the city of Detroit. I think that'd be something that'd be good to know. So I think I have to. I think I have to motion for that. Correct? Okay. So um, I would like to make a motion for LPD to provide a report um, of how many how many people in the city of Detroit are unbanked, and how many cashless businesses do we have in the city of Detroit. Are there any objections? Okay, hearing none, that action shall be taken. Uh, are there any further questions from members, comments? Okay, I believe there was a motion on the floor to refer this to law. Uh, are there any objections? Okay, hearing no objections, that action shall be taken. And clarify, uh, because I know this comes as a report in ordinance, uh, do we, re we do we not receive it at this time? Is this just a referral uh, to this point, Dr. Powers? I believe that you would want to bring it back after you've received the reports. Okay. So perhaps a TBD. Okay. And it, does that? Pardon me. Thank you, Dr. Powers. And that does does that further conclude Legislative Policy Division's report on this particular ordinance? M Mr. Chair, this. Uh this document was just an ordinance. I think that was a um, Scribner's error. Okay. All right. 
Uh, so, members, with that and it being referred to law, do I have a motion to bring back line item, or pardon me, uh, to law? Uh, how long uh, will this take to get this to form and uh, get an opinion and get the resolution? No pun intended. Do you get 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 an answer for the motions uh, that have been made today. Through the chair, Graham Anderson, Law Department, two weeks should be uh, satisfactory. Okay. So, members, I have a motion to bring back line item 7.2 in two weeks. Motion. Okay, hearing no objection, line item 7.2 will be brought back in two weeks. Next, we move to line item 7.3, submitting a resolution of authorization in support of the National Infrastructure Bank Act of 2021. Council member Letitia Johnson requested that the Legislative Policy Division draft a resolution in support of the National Infrastructure Bank Act of 2021. Uh, two L, uh, members, you have a motion to open up line item 7.3 for discussion. Motion. Uh, two LPD. Uh, ha has that resolution uh, been drafted? And where are we at on that? Uh, Attorney Keller, LPD. Uh, yes, the, the resolution has been drafted and submitted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, members, any questions on line item 7.3? Okay, hearing none, do I have a motion to send line item 7.3 to formal with a recommendation to approve? Motion. Hearing no objection, line item 7.3 will be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Next, under miscellaneous, Council Member Coleman A. Young II, line item 7.4, submitting a memorandum relative to a request for accrual of tax millage for the Detroit Public Library. Do you have a motion to open up line item 7.4 for discussion? Motion. Okay, uh, I will turn this over to Vice Chair Young. Yes, I requested a report from uh, LPD uh, regarding uh, tax millages and how much they, uh, they would lose and they would gain within 10 years. I just requested that uh, yesterday. So how much time do you think we would need Mr. Corley to be able to produce that? One week, two weeks? When should we bring this back? Uh, two weeks, Mr. Chair. Okay. Mr. Chair, is that agreeable? Yes, that, that's fine with me, Member Young, on the agenda. Uh, so first, I would ask for a motion to send uh, or refer this to the Legislative Policy Division, line item 7.4. Motion. Okay, hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Now I will entertain a motion to bring back line item 7.4 in two weeks. Motion. Okay, hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. That brings us to the end of our agenda today. Yes, me, Mr. Chair. Yes, Madam Clerk. Point of clarification, please. Mm -hmm. Line item 7.2, that's in the name of Councilmember Whitfield Galloway. No, uh, the clerk shall note that, oh yes, pardon me, yes, line item 7.2 is in the name of Councilmember Whitfield Galloway. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Moving on to member reports, Chair recognizes member Santiago Romero. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just want to share to the public that we're going to have our office hours on Monday at Clemente Rec Center from 4 to 6 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, Member Santiago Romero. Chair recognizes Vice Chair Young. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I just want to remind everybody, as part of the um, Skilled Trades Task Force, um, no, as part of Skilled Trades Task Force, we will be having our meeting on Wednesday, February 15th. That's today, uh, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Skilled Trades Task Force at uh, Laborers International Hall. Union Hall, that's 2161 West Grand Boulevard, 2161 West Grand Boulevard, be there or be square. Uh, I also just want to say, um, 
my even though I'm sending this to my memo to LPD, I also sent it to the OCFO and to the law department. Do I need to make a motion for that as well or no? Sound good? Sound good? Okay. All right. Thank you. That's it. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Done. Thank you, Member Vice Chair. Uh, for my member report, uh, again, I would like to uh, inform members of District 7 to join us for our policy, D7 policy session, scheduled for Monday, February 20th at 6 p.m. Again, our D7 policy session, scheduled for Monday, February 20th at 6 p.m. Doors open at 5.30 p.m., and this session is being held at the Roy A. Allen Senior Building, located at 4924 Joy Road. Again, that's 4924 Joy, uh, Joy Road, next to Chapel Hill Baptist Church. Again, we are urging the uh, members of uh, the public from D7 to come out. We will have a robust discussion on policy. We will talk about, uh, you know, implementation of policy. Uh, and we will also take uh, some ideas from members of the public of policy ideas they want to see. Uh, also, our D7 coffee hour is scheduled for Friday, February 24th from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. at the N Harmony Cafe Suites and More, uh, located at 12041 Dexter Avenue. Uh, if you would like to RSVP for our coffee hour so we can get a head count of who is going to be there, uh, please call our office at 313-224-2151. That's 313-224-2151. Uh, finally, uh, I would like to talk about our District 7 virtual community meeting, which is coming up uh, on the 28th at 6 p.m., February 28th at 6 p.m. Uh, we will send the notice out providing the Zoom link. This is our monthly District 7 virtual community meeting. Uh, our presenting departments thus far for this month will be DPD, the 2nd, 6th, and 10th Precinct, Detroit Fire, Creo as well as DPW, Department of Public Works. So for further information, you can contact our office again at 313-224-2151. Uh, with that, members, and no other items to come before this committee, do I have a motion to adjourn? Motion. Okay, hearing no objection, this committee will stand at ease at the call of the chair.